Dear listener, here we are again. Yet another Pac-12 football coach fired. Carl Durrell ousted at Colorado. Once again, <laughs> the No Truck Stops crew stopped recording and then the news that Carl Durrell hit. So just as we did with the Herm Edwards episode, you will hear our regular episode where we have no clue that Carl Durrell is about to get fired. Uh, and at the very, very end, after our outro music, stay tuned where Greg and I will have a 15-minute chat on the Colorado job, Carl Durrell's firing, and who they might go after next. On with the rest of our show. Can you tell me what you want? Treat, bitch. Oh, excuse me? No. What do you say? Bitch. No, no. I'm not going to give you a treat if you call me that. What do you say? Please. 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 Bitch. Please. (laughs) So relatable. Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos at Equity Bruin on Twitter. Joining me as always, it's Greg at Banana Morphs. Good morning, everyone. And Matthew Hubertson at No Pit Stops. I didn't watch any of these games. I was way too tired. <laughs> uh, not joining us today is Avery. We miss her. Hopefully she's uh, she's feeling well. Uh, but we're here back to talk about week five of the Pac-12 football season. We'll talk about the shakeup at the top of the Pac-12 with UCLA beating UW. We'll talk about all of the horrifyingly boring blowouts. We'll talk about some big games next week. But first, as always, a reminder to leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. Update, we're at 3.2 stars now. A uh, big step up for us from 3.1. To shout out to Shout out to the homie Clipper Alex, who left a five-star star review and said, quote, I didn't know it was possible for a podcast of USC haters to be so much fun, but here we are, end quote. Are we USC haters? <laughs> no, we're USC fears. Are you kidding yeah, me? I think that's I'm the better so, I'm that's so the better scared, term. Daddy, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a USC fearing man. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> like, uh, we're, like, I feel like USC haters are people who are like, oh, USC is fraudulent. Lincoln Riley is a paper bag. He's a Mar- Bob Stoops continuity merchant. Like, we're fucking terrified of USC. Listen, USC, USC is a vengeful and angry god. We know it. Yeah, we want <laughs> USC to be frauds. We desperately want them to be frauds. But we yeah. don't think they are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very weird, very weird. But uh, anyway, thank you for leaving those reviews. Please leave us leave us more of those. We're trying to get to three point five by uh, the end of October. We'll see if we get there. Uh, and as always on Patreon, Avery and I are going to drop our weekly overreactions to the week's games on Tuesdays. Matt and Greg, uh, they're going to preview week six games from the perspective of people with gambling problems. That drops by Thursdays at 5 a.m. Sometimes it drops Tuesday. Sometimes it drops Wednesday. Whatever. Uh, and then we've got our live recordings of these epito- episodes episodes <laughs> with our friends on Discord. Uh, we've got occasional watch-alongs of games on Discord. Also, we watched UW-UCLA with a bunch of folks. I wasn't there, but apparently it was a blast. Yeah, and, uh, and, and many, many more things. So all that stuff is on our Patreon. If you love the show and want more, go to no trucks. Stops.com. All right, let's just get right into it. Let's start with the recap of all that went down in the Pac-12 this past week. Matthew Huberton, please take us away. So Friday night, UCLA hosted UW and did what home teams on Friday nights do in the Pac-12 and kick the shit out of the Huskies 40-32. to 32. Don't let garbage time fool you. Utah beat Beavlet at home 42-16. to 16. Four interceptions per game is extremely sustainable. I've always said this. <laughs> uh, Wazoo sat on Cal 28-9. to nine. Uh, Colorado stays platinum as Arizona covers the spread 43-20. to 20. And then you... <coughs> <coughs> 
Happens to be I can't even, Colorado. I, can't even, I get it. I can't even get USC out of my throat. It's so scary. Um, USC moves to three and zero in Pac-12 play with a forty-two to twenty-five win over ASU, and then Oregon exercised some Stanford disease, forty-five to twenty-seven. I'm gonna go die now. <laughs> Oh, uh, thank you for the the recap. You somehow made it after you did it one time, and suddenly he's dying. <laughs> uh, by the way, was it just me, or was this slate uh, painfully boring and uneventful? Am I crazy? It's like I feel like to we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, uh, I agree with you. It was of all the days for me to miss half the day. Uh, with other things, I'm happy it was this one because just like, was there a like was the best game Cal Wazoo like? It was, it was rough. That was that was an ugly game to watch. Yeah, the most fun was probably UCLA Washington. I mean, maybe I'm just saying that because I was a UC I'm a UCLA fan, but no, uh, that was DTR is like out of straight out of Gladiator. Just like, are you not entertained in that game? That was a very fun game. No, it was. I, everything just went so chalk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, other than the Friday night game, that it was pretty, I mean, like, Utah Bivlet wasn't exactly, like, high-flying or any sort mm-hmm. of, like, not a ton of fun to watch. Wazoo Cal was super ugly. Like, I was entirely, like, somebody call me if Jaden not does anything cool, but otherwise I'm going to go mow the lawn. It was it was pretty ugly slate. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was not good. This is the bad thing about having, we'll get into this later, I think, but the bad thing about having three very bad teams that are going to lose to everyone is that mean that means half the slate three games as long as they don't play each other three games every week will just be automatic wins they're like just non it's back to non-conference against fcs teams is, is what it feels like but i get it the pac-12 needs them but man for entertainment purposes those are those are brutal to it's brutal to watch sometimes well we talked a little bit about let's let's get right into it uh let's talk about the biggest outcome of the slate ucla beat washington 40 to 32 on friday night dtr went fucking nuclear on the huskies he threw for 315 yards three touchdowns and also added a rushing touchdown we're gonna talk about the entirety of this game from both sides from the washington side from the ucla side but we have to i think we have to start with dtr because he was the breakout star here i want to know what was most impressive about dtr's game uh in this one here friday greg start us off what were you most impressed by with dtr his legs, <laughs> like he, it's not that he wasn't good throwing the ball, but just his athleticism is so impressive every time. Like he hurdled the guy, and it was as good as hurdles get. It was gorgeous. Like the picture that was taken from it was so good. And then there was that play where he had the two U Dub players tackle each other in the end zone. <laughs> that was incredible, and that was just like a microcosm for the game. Those two plays where it was just like he made U Dub look silly throughout. It was very, very impressive. At no point did you ever feel like UW was going to like actually lock it down and get stops on, U- on UCLA consistently. He owned the game. Yeah, he was incredible. Matt, what about you? Were you, were you impressed with DTR all the way? Is there, uh, is there anything you were most impressed by? I don't think we've seen him look this in control for a full mm-hmm. 60 minutes. Like even... I. A lot of the time when he starts to run, you get a little bit like he gets chaotic with it, even though he's very talented. A lot of the time he's like, I'm talented. I can hurdle a dude. And it takes him seven to 17 tries before he actually successfully <laughs> like hurdles someone. So I super, super impressive game today. I don't I don't know how to judge how much of like how how 
how stiff the UW defense is and how, how yeah. much resistance they were actually putting up. But ultimately, he was incredibly in control. He did very, very well when he was uh, when running the ball. He was not th- – these were not jump balls or, or anything where the wide receivers did a great job for him. He was making fantastic decisions. It was, it was a great, great ball game out of him. Yeah, it felt uh it really felt like he he was the most composed he's been in in ever and that was concluding a 2021 season where I felt like he had really figured himself out and trying to stay within himself and make the right decisions. I I it felt a lot like the USC game last year where he just went nuclear. Now he was a little out of control in that one too. I think he was getting a little uh, hyped up by what he was doing to USC, but uh, this was just a, a, a master class in uh, running the ball, throwing it. I felt like as a thrower, DTR is, is fantastic. I also think uh, more so than him being a, a good thrower, I think, is just that Chip Kelly's scheme. I have many, many critiques of the Chip Kelly era, but one thing that I think he has consistently done throughout his time at UCLA is scheme receivers open. Um, it feels like every time UCLA throws and completes a pass, there's a guy who... Uh, who's like <laughs> wide open. Um, there's like not a defender for four, five, six, ten yards sometimes. So he really works there, but he he punishes teams with the legs, DTR does. Uh, it feels like he knows exactly when he needs to run. Um, he is not sort of like panicking and running as his first option. Uh, it, it It's it's impressive what he's doing right now. Now, uh, we got to, maybe we'll have, to, we'll have a conversation about Washington's defense. Uh, that secondary is not great, but Washington's pass rush was not bad. Uh, it was it was okay this game, um, as it has been for most of the season. Sometimes it's looked incredible, and sometimes it's looked just fine, but it's never been bad, and I don't think it was bad this game. It's just that when you have... Uh, I think DTR is probably the most athletic quarterback in the conference. When you have someone who's like that uh, and who and who has figured it out the game out mentally and things have like really slowed down for him, it's hard. It's difficult. Um, but let's talk about let's talk a little bit about UW now and and their what what their performance was defensively because clearly they got they got cooked to the tune of forty points uh, again to your point Matt uh, forty it's, the, the score is forty to thirty two but it was uh, it was a blowout uh, much before UW sort of started um, throwing the ball but what did you think about uh, Washington defensively here Matt was there anything here that you were like particularly concerned by I sixty two percent success rate uh in in the passing game for UCLA that is is not what we typically see out of out of a DTR team like it just kind of kind of is that sort of a situation so i that that part of it looked really bad and these dudes were open they were wide open i didn't see anything that looked like looked like any any one of the defensive backs was able to shut down a receiver or cover them well. Jake Bobo just could get whatever he wanted. So absolutely, that's where a big part of the fear is. I do think that UCLA did a good job of playing off of that in the run game, and I think that that's where a lot of, of Charbonnet's work came. I don't think that this was a situation where UW was trying to force eight, nine guys into the box and then was getting cooked in the back on the back half. I think it kind of went a little bit of the, the opposite direction. And yeah, I... They just didn't put up any resistance at all. <laughs> at at no point did I have any. Even at the end of the game, when Washington started scoring and and got a couple of those garbage time touchdowns, at no point did it feel like they were going to be able to then put it in the hands of the defense and mm-hmm. feel confident in a stop at all. And that that is definitely something. Even last year with UW, 
you could, they were not going to score. They were not going to put up 17 points, but it kind of felt like it was hit and miss whether or not you were going to get 25. Like at at times last year, their defense still felt like they could be a dominant force. This is probably the first time that we've seen in a long while that, that Washington has actually just looked like food on defense. Yeah. Greg, what do you, what about you? What did you think about you agree with uh, Matt's assessment there? Is there anything else that you're taking away when it comes to Washington's uh, defense in this one? Yeah. I mean, Washington's defense, just like Matt said, it's really, really not good. Uh, losing Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon hurts, especially when, uh, when you haven't been recruiting DBs to replace them. I think this game is somehow yet another indictment of Jimmy Lake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> just with how bad that defense is, that was supposed to be his thing. I don't think they've had any transfers out from the DBs. He just didn't have anyone to replace uh, those guys that they'd been sending to the NFL. And it is <laughs> they're paying for it now. So I mm-hmm. guess good on him that he doesn't have to... He doesn't have to deal with that, but uh, it is tough for them now, and they're gonna have to they're gonna have to buckle down because I don't know when that room's gonna be healthy again, and even when they are healthy, I don't think they're that good. So UW is in for an interesting season. I think their offense, I will say, is better than it showed in the first half against UCLA. Uh, I think going forward, it'll be a little better than that most of the time, but uh, that defense, I think. I'm not expecting much better performances from them because uh, yeah. I think they played to how good they are in that game, although I guess DTR made them look a little silly. I think it's important to not give the offense a pass, though. Like, this yeah, offense yeah, legitimately bottomed out for a 20-play period, like, in the middle of this ball game, And that's against a defense that I think speaking kindly you would say is suspect Mm -hmm. um or is concerning (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I think they have at times been absolutely horrendous during the chip kelly era and that has not improved this year uh, at all and i think that that's that's equally as concerning so much of what we've seen with uw this year has been the ability to just scheme guys wide open as good of a thrower as michael Penix has been they have had so many situations where they've just had They've had wide receivers running free, and nothing was easy for Michael Penix a single time this game. He did not step up in any way, but mm-hmm. but it, the offense was legitimately horrible for a solid 20-play period in this game. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, it felt like, uh, honestly, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Kalen DeBoer's decision-making, play-calling. Um, it felt like... If you haven't if you haven't paid attention very closely to UCLA for like I don't know the entirety of the Chip Kelly era, uh, their secondary has been bad for a very long time. Uh, I don't think that is untrue this year, and I don't think it's less true this year. I think they're as bad as they were last year um, in the in the past in past defense. And uh, Kalen DeBoer ran the ball a disproportionately high amount uh, for a team that does not really rely on running the ball very much. It really, it felt like, uh, it, it felt like we've kind of talked about, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, what do you do on UCLA? You like, just why would anyone run on UCLA uh, when they could just pass and get an easy uh, first down almost every single time? Um, and... Washington ran the ball, and they don't have a good running game. They haven't had a good running game all season. Um, I don't know that they have a... a, Has it not been good? 
it's been okay. Like it's not, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that there are any great, uh, they're particularly good. I'm going to look up the rankings here. I'm sort of trying to figure out if I can figure out what they're or not the rankings, the, the numbers on this, but they have not been, uh, a run first team. Um, and it felt like they were forcing the rush more than they typically have. Like it's, it was pretty stunning to see. Um, Wayne Chilapapa, who had a pretty big game last week, had 10 carries for 48 yards. Um, the overall, they had 23, I guess 17 rushes for like 60 yards. You gotta remove sacks from that from my head, but that's what they did. They, they ran the ball when they probably should have passed. And then in the second half, when they were down midway through the third quarter, when they were down like what? The 33 to 10 or something like that uh started throwing the ball and and getting some success uh and ucla secondary was pro- the primary reason why washington got back in this game um and even had a, a a small chance at the end to try to to try to tie it back up so some weird decision making from the offense can't let them off the hook uh, especially when uh they had been a, a pass first team all uh, all year uh chad our buddy chad uh putting in here that uh for the season Tola papa has had 355 yards off 58 attempts and three rushing touchdowns i believe that's not a uh let's see that's six yards per carry um that's, so that's not good. bad it's not bad but it's good yeah wa- washington can run the ball they just don't and I, honestly i mean they only ran the ball 21 times in this game like they they really it's interesting because they weren't really forcing it, but at the same time, they needed to do something to slow down the pass rush because Penix was under duress the whole time. Yeah, he was. Um, and and that is definitely something that I think impacted what was happening on the back end of the defense and the way that they were able to cover because and severely impacted his accuracy and certainly led to the interceptions as well. So, you know, I honestly, like, I kind of feel like he should have ran the ball more. <laughs> To be quite mm. honest, I mm. obviously would have liked to have seen a little bit more differentiation in the way that those run plays were called. But, um, yeah, it was UCLA just got to pin their ears back, and part of that is that their offense was so good that they kind of they got out to that lead. But yeah, yeah this this one game scripted away from UW really really fast. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Michael Penix because I think we kind of came in here thinking he was the number one quarterback, number two quarterback, maybe if you're still high on Caleb Williams, uh, a top two quarterback in the Pac-12 because he had been so incredible. This game, uh, I'm not sure that it exposed him. I think it more so exposed Washington's offensive line or maybe maybe sort of showed us that UCLA's pass rush is a little bit better than we thought. Maybe it's a bit of both. Um, but Penix was 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 pressured for the first time really what it looked like all season and uh we know that he's not a great runner he he looked like a statue out there it looked like he didn't really have many uh many opportunities to try to run it didn't create opportunities for himself but um early on in this game when he was getting when he was getting pressured he did not uh he, he did not look good it was it looked like the first time he was facing pressure all season i think that this i i do agree that this exposed the offensive line i what we've seen from Michael Penix Jr., everything has been so easy. Everything has been perfectly mm-hmm. easy. He has not been under duress. Wide receivers have been running open. All of that is true. But at the same time, he's been perfect. Like, he has been the definition of perfect in his throws. Everything has been incredibly accurate, incredibly on time. It's been truly very, very impressive. What I found interesting here and what I do think was exposed about him specifically is how much that when you heated him up, he was poor on the run. He was poor when having to scramble. I don't think that anybody is incredible, but 
it interrupted all of his rhythm when it was a clean pocket. All mm. of a sudden, mm. he started being far more inaccurate. He started missing guys that were running open. And I do think that that is a him issue, right? That that he wasn't able, you know, whatever resilience or quality you want to call it, that I, you did see that. And so I do think that that is something about Penix that was concerning um, and is something that, you know, is something to look out for moving forward, that if you can heat this team up, uh, and heat him up and kind of speed him up in the normal routine of the game. I, I do think that that's going to show again. Uh, our buddy, our buddy Chad here with a with a note here about <laughs> some <laughs> some Pac-12 vibes. Uh, Chad said that UW cursed Penix at the start of the game when the kicker slide tackled on the kickoff return. <laughs> that was an incredible play. All right, that was fantastic. It was smart. It was smart. Went back to his soccer roots. And saved a touchdown. Like, they call that football too. Yeah, it's all, it's all the same. It's the yellow same card and play on. Exactly, and <laughs> they threw the yellow. Like absolutely great play from the kicker. Saved a touchdown. That's more than UW's defense can say. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was a smart play. I think. I think initially we were like, "Oh, what the fuck was that?" But that that, that player. Uh, I forgot who was kicking. Who was returning the kickoff? Was it? Was it? Uh, Casimir Allen or I don't know. I it would make sense if it's I don't know. Him, he was but... he was gone though. Like yeah, yeah he was gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, there was no one in front of him. It was like uh it almost like you almost like wonder if they have to like I, I, that doesn't happen that often. I think for them to change the rule, but it's like the um the uh like an open what do you call it in basketball? The take foul. The take like in... uh, like a take foul, but like when no one's ahead of the when clear no one's path. A, a clear path, path foul. Yeah. Why, why did I for, forget that name of that? Yeah. It's like I'm a clear path against... foul. I'm not against a red card. Like that would have been a red card in soccer. Like I kick him out of the game. Yeah. I'm good with it. You don't get a kicker. <laughs> it absolutely would have been denied a clear goal scoring opportunity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a bizarre. Yeah, that was bizarre. But a heads up play. Uh, truly. Let's talk about UCLA now because uh, they come away looking coming away out of this game. We all thought. I certainly thought that UCLA was going to lose this game by multiple scores. Uh, we all picked, unanimously picked, Washington to beat UCLA. Uh, what were you most impressed with about UCLA? Anything that was surprising? We talked a lot about DTR. Was there anything else about this team and this performance against Washington that was particularly surprising? Greg, we can start with you. The pass rush, I think, was the most impressive. Uh, UW's offensive line hadn't given up a sack, and UCLA was consistently pressuring Michael Penix. That was really impressive. And... Uh, <laughs> it's making me question, like, is this because UCLA has a good pass rush or is UW's uh, offensive line just much worse than we thought? I still don't really think we know the answer to those questions yet. But just watching the game, I was consistently impressed with how uh, how UCLA was getting to Penix. And there was one player specifically who had a great game. Mm-hmm. I think Latu, that's his Leatu name? Latu Latu, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he was, he was a transfer, I think, from from UW. Yeah, they didn't medically clear him, and uh, UCLA did, and he is fantastic for UCLA right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the defense and the, the pass rush specifically was really impressive to me. Yeah, Leatu Latu had a game. Um, that's... he. he he was very loud and, and causing a lot of disruption. Felt like every time someone was in his face, it was Liatu Latu uh, for UCLA. Uh, Matt, what about you? Anything you were particularly impressed? Uh, it's just how complete of a game it was. Mm. It, it, we've seen this out of UCLA's offense several times before. We've seen this out of DTR several times before. I think I think this was a new level for him, but it, it's not that far off of like the, UC, the USC game last year or anything like that. It The fact that they came out defensively and were able to dominate 
what is a good offense might not be great, but it is a good offense was, was shocking to say the least. Yeah. Do you all feel differently about UCLA? We came in, we all said they were pretty fraudulent at four zero. We're not sure that they were a good team. Graves has, has that tweet, uh, that UCLA is the most fraudulent four and team she's ever seen. DTR, uh, uh, maybe a listener of no truck stops, uh, said after the game, <laughs> <laughs> he said after the game that uh, he saw everyone saying that they were uh, a fraudulent 4-0 team uh, and that he thought had them in mind. Do you feel differently now about UCLA that they beat Washington like this? Greg, let's start with you. I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely feel better. <laughs> I, I definitely feel better about UCLA than I did going into the game. However, Stay I'm with not, your chest, Greg. Come on. I'm not convinced that they aren't frauds. Like, they might still be frauds. Um, because UW hasn't played anyone. Every team you does played has sucked until and UC- UCLA, and every team UCLA's played has sucked <laughs> until you. Yes, so we don't know. We don't know anything. <laughs> and uh, like, I want to say this is really nice from uh, from UCLA. Like the defensive line specifically, that was great, and I think that will translate to most games. So they're definitely better than I thought they were. However, I don't know how good that is. Yeah, as opposed to the best teams in the conference. Yeah. What about you? Uh, well, first of all, real quick, Chad is uh, mentioning here <laughs> passing his rocking. Me and Chad hung out a little bit at the at the Rose Bowl. We were we were both there. We hung out uh, near the near the student section. Uh, that was it was a forty one thousand uh, cr- strong crowd. Uh, now the Rose Bowl's capacity is at like fifty five or fifty two because they put the tarps there and all that other stuff. Um, but it was a it was a pretty r- raucous ish crowd for a Friday night. Um, but uh, <laughs> Chad saying the student section is finally back. We're back, baby. Matt, what about <laughs> what about you? Do you feel like uh, you feel differently about UCLA? You still feel they're a little fraudulent? This has just been such a roller coaster, right? Like, I think that we came into the season being like, they're going to be a really good team that is very fraudulent. Um, They're going to be an eight and four team that looks 10 and two or 11 and one. Um, And we saw games in the non conference that were like, oh no, they look five and seven. (laughs) Like, they're going to be 10 and two, but look five and seven. Oh no. Yeah. And I, I just think that this kind of resets things to be like, nah, like they just look like an eight and four, nine and three team. Um, which is good. Like I, and and it is an improvement. It, I definitely feel like, okay, they can beat a Utah. They can beat an Oregon state. They can beat a USC. Am I going to bet on them to do it? Do I think they should be favorites against them? No, but certainly, I mean, I came into this game screaming at anybody who would listen that UW was winning by three scores hand up. That's on me. Um, <laughs> but, but I just, I, yeah, like they, they have a lot of talent offensively, the defense looking competent, I don't know what to take from that. I I tend to lean on the side of like, oh shoot, that actually looked pretty decent. Um, but yeah, I they're good. They 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 are not a bad team that is going to go ten and two. They are a good team that can go ten and two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one thing, the one thing that makes me feel David Woods has been saying this, and I think he's right, which is that DTR by himself might keep UCLA in some games. The way he's playing right now, mm-hmm. the way he's played all season, by himself. Might might hang, keep UCLA when around in games that they might that they might be a little bit mismatched, um, but we will learn so much more about UCLA coming this week. We will learn a lot about Utah uh, coming up this week, and let's move on to Utah because these two are going to play each other, and because it's going to be a very very big game at twelve thirty p.m. Pacific. Uh, let's talk about Utah Oregon State. Matt, recap this one for us. 
So Oregon State once again acquiesce the the tyrannical reign that is the Pac-12 requiring that they leave Corvallis uh, and turn into a potato again. Really, I just I, somebody needs to occupy the Pac-12 and make sure that Oregon State can stay at home. Um, score was forty-two to sixteen. What's hard is I don't know whether to say that it wasn't that close of a game or if it felt closer. Uh, Chance Nolan yeah. was absolutely terrible. And old Johnny kept calling passes, leading to two Clark Phillips, the third interceptions. Three. The first, well, just from Nolan, sir, please, (laughs) please read the show notes. Um, First leading to a short field touchdown and a pick six, and then the other pick six. And then Go Branson came in, and after a chance, Nolan left with a quote fingers injury and fared about the same with two interceptions of his own. Utah's offense did not look dominant or good at all in this game, Um, and like you just, they were looking for something reliable outside of the run game that got shut down and then Brent Keithy being out. So, um, kind of a weird game that ultimately looks like Utah's a lot better than Oregon state, but I, I kind of leave this game feeling similar to you, Utah that I did USC after playing Oregon state. Yeah. Uh, quick note about the, about the injury, uh, to, uh our buddy Gary is bringing up that it was his neck and they, they said it was his neck. And I think, uh, like many of us are sort of like, mm, does this feel like a face saving thing? Because Chance Nolan has not looked good for two straight weeks. It's not not just not look good, look downright terrible. But they showed a replay on the Pac-12 networks where he just kind of got tackled and rolled up on his neck. It looked bad. It looked bad enough for me to be like, ooh, I think I was wrong. Like maybe he is hurt. Okay. So I, I, right. I think there's a real possibility that he uh, he got hurt on that play and just had to get um, get out. But all that is fine. But Chance Nolan just wanting to play neck in the sense that LSU does is <laughs> I, that's a better joke, and I'm going to go with that. Okay. <laughs> uh, Greg, instant reactions to this game. I know I, I think you didn't watch much of this, but uh, you have you have some reactions. Yes. So uh, Clark Phillips is a god. He is incredible best defensive player in the conference he is so good three interceptions how many like how many times has that happened in the pac-12 era i I just can't get over three interceptions including a pick six and and Uh, one of those was when he fucking ripped it out of an oregon state's receiver's hands with one hand it was which is the second time he's done that this year like second time (laughs) in two weeks clark phillips okay my clark phillips the third uh dark horse heisman contender pick looking pretty good heisman you mean Defensive player of the year. Like, you picked no, him. No, Heisman. Okay, okay, Heisman. But, but, uh, but continue, Greg. I don't mean to <laughs> Nice. Let him return uh, the kicks. <laughs> yes, yes, let him return the kicks. Uh, the score, I think... Now, I, I didn't watch the whole game, and what I did watch was, like, condensed stuff afterwards and looking at the box score. But it looks to me like this game was closer than the score looks. Like... Good on Utah for winning 42-16 against a good team. That's great. But in terms of yards per play, I think they were both pretty similar. Oregon State, I think, had a lot of success against Utah on both sides of the ball. Like, I don't think Utah's offense looked particularly impressive. I don't think Utah's defense looked particularly impressive outside of the Clark Phillips turnovers, which, of course, completely changed the game and killed Oregon State. I do think Utah's a better team than Oregon State, but I, I don't know if the gap is as big as it looks, and so I think that this might lead to us overrating Utah a little bit when it comes to like conference title uh, favorite picks. I could see, like you know, U- U- USC played a seventeen to fourteen game against Oregon State uh, 
Utah played a 42 to 16 game against Oregon State and people will say, "Oh, look at that. Utah did so much better." I'm not actually convinced that Utah played that much better than USC did. Uh Utah just got Oregon State at home as opposed to on the road. And I guess they played a little better, but like yeah. You know, I don't I don't think this changes how I view Utah really at all. Yeah. I think there's some real uh some real concerns with Utah defensively. It, it, I get that people are going to kind of look at the score and say that Utah beat the shit out of Oregon State. Um, but Oregon State was getting a lot of, to your point, Greg, getting a, a much of what it wanted, not everything it wanted, wanted, everything that it wanted, but much of what it wanted. They averaged 7.4 uh, plays per drive, 48, almost uh, 48, 49 uh, yards per drive, gained 69%, uh, very nice, of their available yards, and uh, had about seven yards per play. Uh, the reason they lost this game was because their quarterback situation is a disaster. Like, suddenly, they look like they have the second-worst quarterback situation in the Pac-12 ahead of just Colorado. Um, Chance Nolan, horrific. Uh, he he played a very small amount in this game, only threw six passes, threw two completions. He oh. threw as many picks as he did completions, two. And they were bad. And after, after uh, he sort of looked bad, he came out for his final drive before he had to go out— he looked. He had lost all of his confidence by that point. He was not throwing. He was. Com- he was either completely unwilling to throw, or he was throwing overthrowing receivers so that uh, he made sure he was not getting picked off. He lost everything. And then Ben Gold- uh, Goldbranson came in and looked pretty bad himself. He has like a very strong arm, but no touch, no accuracy. Uh, it was like just a cannon that someone was shooting with their eyes closed. Like, like JT it was, Shroud. It was. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and despite all that, Oregon State was still getting a lot of what it wanted offensively. So we've got to have conversations about Utah's defense. I will say though, you got to give some, Utah some credit for their offense. Like I felt like Cam Rising played another really great game. Um, he had a couple of moments. Mostly he was it was great, and they did fine without Brant Keithy there. Um, and this was an Oregon State secondary, by the way, that uh, shut down Caleb Williams and the USC passing game. So I'm going to give Utah credit offensively for that performance. Um, it, it's just the defense that I think we're, uh, is a little worrisome. Really worried about Oregon State in this one. But um, but I, I think I don't feel differently about Utah after this game. I still think they have a lot of question marks. I'm curious to see what it looks like, uh, what that defense looks like against much better offenses. UCLA will be the best offense they've played to this point, I think. So that's going to be interesting and probably the best quarterback that that uh, Utah will have played in quite a while. Frankly, um, it's been it's been a minute. Uh, so we'll we'll see about them. But I, I felt this way being neutral on Utah. Matt, what about you? How do you feel about Utah coming out of this game? What did you see about this game? I think you're nailing it in the sense of of UCLA versus this defense is going to be very, very interesting to see. I, when you look at the box score, Oregon State only ran for four yards per play by the end of this game. But that's because after the first three drives, Utah did not have to respect the pass in any way, shape, or form. Um, before that, Oregon State was gashing the Utah run defense for 10 yards per play. It it was it was bad, and and it was as bad as we have have continued to see, you know, against the or against the Florida game. Um, like I'm I'm leaving this game thinking that like UCLA and Oregon are going to be a problem for this defense. They they are going to be able to run the ball and going to be able to have a balanced attack. That as long as their quarterbacks don't self sabotage, far more confident in DTR not doing that than I am in Bo Nix. There, didn't think you'd say that like two years I know. ago. <laughs> well, 
No, I mean, they, they just, the Pac-12 does not have a good defense this year. Like it is, mm-hmm. there, there is not a dominant force in the defense on the defensive side. And frankly, and, and like I tweeted this out where Utah has yet to play like a Pac-12 championship contender or a, a playoff contender in any way. They've, they've yet to have that moment where they have looked like that. They, they may get there. I'm, I'm definitely not saying that they won't. But this offense returned so much off of 2021 that even with an expected step back from the defense, it, the offense has not taken a step forward at at all, if anything, they've regressed. And I do think that that is concerning. I, I think that that is very concerning. Utah has the uh, 20th defense per SP+. Now, SP+, is still uh, considering some preseason stuff. I I don't think it's like... I don't think it's going to be like bottom tier, but it's certainly not what it has been in the Kyle mm-hmm. Whittingham era. It will be top 40, but there's a huge difference for Utah having a top 40 defense and having a top 15, top 20 defense. Um, per beta rank, it looks like they have the 49th ranked defense. Um, so weird stuff to see Utah look like this defensively. Um, very strange to sort of see Oregon State get whatever it wanted despite not playing particularly well and have their running game do as well as they have considering that Oregon State's run game has not looked good much of the year. I think it's been it's been it's been good, but it hasn't been anywhere near near what it has been in 2021. It looked like 2021 Oregon State run game uh in this one. Um but I still think Utah has, has it, it they they don't have a basement level defense. It's going to be like fine, which again might not be what Utah fans expected or what we expected, but it will at least be fine. And their offense, they look like an offense first team yet again. Um, that will be at least good uh, at, at on the floor. So we'll see how that shakes out. Let's let's shift over to a little bit about Oregon State because I'm have this like sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach that we're watching Oregon State season get away from them here i know it's only week five i know it's five games in almost halfway by the way uh, but it feels a little like this could uh send them into some some dark places so was there anything greg we can start with you that you felt like was very alarm a very alarming for oregon state in this game aside from their quarterback situation which i think we can all agree (laughs) five alarm fire yeah see that's the problem is i think oregon state's a good team but their quarterback situation is so bad. Like a few weeks ago, we talked about Chance Nolan being on the Tyler Huntley arc. Uh, Not anymore. And, and he was playing like it. <laughs> but Tyler Huntley has never had a two-game stretch that bad. Never in his career. Uh, and with a quarterback situation that bad, I just don't think anywhere else on the team is good enough to compensate. And that's really, really concerning. Like... Wazoo, Cal, uh, they might beat this Oregon State team, uh, and that is that is worrying to me. I am, I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm concerned yeah. for the Beavs. I, I'm still confident they'll get to bowl eligibility, but like, I'm much less confident in eight and four, nine and three Beavs than I was two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not uh, looking great. Just to get back to, I wanted to follow up on Matt's point about there not being any great defense in the Pac-12. Any guesses as to who's number one in defensive beta rank? Cal. Defensive? USC. Yeah. Uh, oh. No, not Cal. Not USC. Cal is two. USC is six. 
Uh, number one is Washington State. They're 29th in the country. So the Pac-12 does not have a top 25 defense per same, beta rank. Same in SP+. Plus. Utah's the top at 24 after week five. Yeah. Yeah. Good Good looking out there. Um, so not great stuff. We'll find out. Uh, mm-hmm. But Matt, what are you worried about Oregon State? <laughs> I feel like that's a rhetorical question, but go ahead. I mean... It- <laughs> It's hard. So coming into the season, I had them going ten and two with like the attitude of absolutely the fuck not. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it, when you pick the games, they they reach ten and two, and it's like this is not a ten and two team. Very similar to how we view UCLA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. But you look at the schedule, and like I agree, they can lose to Wazoo and Cal, except for those games are in Corvallis. No. So no. like, do you think they can win on the road at Stanford? They're probably losing to UW. So like. Nine and but nine and three still in play. They're at ASU. Like that feels like a possible win. Like and then and then you get Oregon at home. Like I don't Oregon State got so lucky with like the home away split this year. So like it's so well set up for them. Yeah, and they and they needed the USC game at home to really Mm -hmm. continue to be a Pac twelve contender. I think the second that they lost that game, it just it wasn't gonna be in the cards for them this year. But I still think that they have they have a very reasonable question mark uh, route to nine and three. Like I, I think that they can still absolutely take a step up from last year, if nothing else, schedule driven. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's like Stanford, Colorado, uh, Arizona State. Those are the three teams we've said are auto wins. I think they're auto wins. That's already six six games, and then they've and got that's two get... of your road games. Like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, and then and then after that, it's like. Washington State, that's a toss-up. Um, Washington, not a toss-up. We'll say they lose that one. Oregon, I don't know. It's in research, so maybe a toss- I don't know. It's totally in play. Like I think you you're seriously right. have a two-touchdown swing for this Arizona State, or for this Oregon State team home yeah. away. Like, it's yeah, it really starting to feel that way. It's starting to feel that way. Um, all right, well, let's let's move on. Uh, we've got a few games here to talk about. Let's let's talk about Cal, Washington State. Cal, uh, I've uh, reversed this. Cal lost to Washington State 28-9. to this was a uh, brutal game to watch. The offense has really, really struggled in this one until uh, Washington State started breaking it open late in the game. Um, but the Cougs pull it out. Uh, they beat Cal handily. They improved four and one, while Cal goes to three and two. Uh, we won't. We shouldn't spend too much time on this game because it's like they're in the middle, and it just was like not a fun game to watch. Um, but Greg, any quick takeaways about either of these teams from uh, from this game? Well. Uh- we got some clarity about the middle of the Pac-12, which is nice. I think we can say definitively Wazoo's a better team than Cal. Uh, yes. They showed that. And uh, I'm still feeling good about Cam Ward. Really, really, really want them to put like an offense around him. But he made some really, really good throws, and uh, that was nice. Wazoo's defense is good at stopping the run, and that is... A problem for Cal, like <laughs> yeah. it's just when you, when you stop the run against Cal, you stop Cal altogether. Uh, that's just <laughs> that's tough for them. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that uh, Cam. I'm still uh, I'm still a little down on Cam Ward. He had a he had some great throws that were just like whoa, that's awesome. And then he had some throws and decisions that were like, dude, what are you doing? Um, he had both of those in <laughs> this game. I think more good than bad. It's funny because we talked about Cam Ward or Jack, or Jack Plummer, which one's better. I still came away with this being like, yeah, I think I'd still take Jack Plummer. And the reason why is Jack Plummer had a very Jack Plummer line. No touchdowns, no interceptions. 
truly just like does nothing, but also doesn't take away anything. He's not going to lose you a game, but he's definitely not going to win you one. Uh, Jack Plummer is just there. Um, he's just, he's, he's like, uh, okay. This, this I is an unbelievable there. take from a DTR apologist. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to say. I don't understand how he feels this way. <laughs> Cal would be so much better if they had Cam Ward. Oh, I can't. God, I don't, I don't know. I feel like they'd be the same. It just here's the thing: they they'd be the exact same record wise and performance wise, but I think they'd be more fun to watch because Cam Ward would be like, "Shit, did you see that thing Cam Ward did?" And then like, "Fuck, what was Cam Ward doing?" It's like having Jaden Delora as your Justin quarterback. Wilcox would have benched Cam Ward so fast. That's a good point. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I forgot about the Justin Wilcox factor. Uh, do you feel good about Washington State? Matt, or I guess actually, let me get Cal, uh, uh, Matt your thoughts about Cal Washington State this game. Uh, boring, 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 boring game. I, Jade Knott didn't get to do anything cool. Cam Ward didn't get to do anything cool. It was just boring. Like it, it this, this was like the Pac-12's version of those old, like Alabama LSU games where mm. neither of the offenses could do anything. Um, so I just, Whatever it is a boring game. I I can't believe that Cam Ward somehow put up three hundred thirty four through three hundred forty three passing yards. That that is shocking to me. I'm certain that Wazoo moved the ball like eleven yards in total. <laughs> Cal got two, but like whatever. So yeah, it's just very boring game. On to next week. This is one of those that that just these are two teams that I feel like can be chaotic and can reach up and beat a really good team. And when you get them against each other, it just turns into an ugly, ugly football game. Yeah, it was not fun. Well, we'll get to see because Washington State plays USC next week, so Yee! that will be that will be entertaining. High entertainment. We're we're about to find out how good this Washington State defense is. Over under <laughs> seven Cam Ward interceptions. <laughs> In a winning effort. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it feels like every time Washington State wins, it's because Cam Ward did some weird, dumb shit. I have no idea. It's so bizarre. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's go off of this game. Uh, we, both, we, we don't have much to say about it. It's just such a snooze fest. Let's talk about some of the blowouts in the Pac-12. Greg, how about you take us to the uh, late night games? All right. So, started off, Arizona beat Colorado, 43-20. to uh, Jaden Delora threw six touchdowns. Very impressive from him. Uh, <laughs> and Arizona's defense was, to quote Carlos, uh, hot diarrhea trash. <laughs> <laughs> Colorado was dreadful too, of course. Uh, they started Owen McCown again, uh, the freshman. And all, all things considered, it was a good performance from a Colorado QB to finish with one touchdown and no interceptions. That was very good. Uh, next, USC beat ASU 42-25. to USC's defense looked really bad, uh, and ASU was able to move the ball on them pretty efficiently. But Caleb Williams made some incredible plays, uh, and USC's offense was just too much for ASU to handle. Now for the final game of the night, Oregon beat Stanford 45-27 to in what was another great game from Bo Nix. He rushed for 141 yards, uh, which is the first time Oregon has had a 100-yard rusher so far this season. And uh, Stanford really struggled to get anything going offensively in the first half, and it was pretty much over by halftime. So, Matt, uh, do you want to start us off on this one? Who impressed you most against the three bottom dwellers? 
I don't. Can I abstain? I don't. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably Oregon. I just don't like to actually say that. Um, it, it's probably Oregon. I, I think that Oregon was most impressive. I think that I, I still just the defense didn't look great. This was still like part of this felt like it should have been a game without some really boneheaded like havoc plays out of Stanford. I, I don't know. It was it was a weird game, but it's probably Stanford, Arizona, Colorado. Like I'm honestly more proud that Colorado still found a way to remain platinum even against against Arizona. I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. But like USC ASU, like that was a game into the fourth quarter. Yeah. That which was is unbelievable. Yeah, I I would say I felt the the you asked Greg about who was the most impressive. Uh, I I don't know. I, I almost make him want to say. Do I want to say Arizona? I don't know that you can. Anyone oh, can be. Oh, you can't say can't, Arizona. That yeah, was the worst yeah. performance anyone's had against Colorado so far this year. You're right. Uh, I guess it's Oregon, but the one, the team I'm worried about the lead, the the most, I think, is USC. Um, now, I don't know that I ever felt in my bones that ASU was going to make this a a, a nail biter by any means. But it was a game, like Matt said, it was a game going into the fourth quarter, uh, and Arizona State was getting, well, they were moving the ball pretty well, especially early on. Um, early on, it felt like Ex-Valade was going to have a big game. They ended up with uh, 25 points. Ex-Valade only ended up with 64 yards off 13 attempts, but uh, much of that came early on. Um, so I walked away, and he's like, mm, walked away from this being like, I, I think... USC's defense has some has some real issues to work through, um, and they and they'll they they're gonna have they're gonna get tested again um, a little bit more than they have been. So yeah, that I was least impressed with USC. I'm I, it's hard to say because Arizona State's just gonna be a high variance team for some reasons, just because they're they have a, the high, the fired coach interim coach thing. But and this is USC, and everyone's gonna give USC their best shot. But I I don't know. Well, no, we'll see. Um, Greg, what about you? What did you think? Were you impressed or unimpressed by any of these teams in particular? I was disappointed in USC. Uh, their offensive line was bad. Caleb Williams is really, yeah. really good. Like he made some magic plays that were very impressive. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna disagree defense. on the really, really good label. I don't know that he was really, really good. I, first turnover yeah. of the season for it, it USC. Was first turnover of it was the ugly. season, and it was a bad turnover. But there were some really, really great plays. I say really, really a lot today. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but uh, he was he was very impressive. He made some plays where like he should have been sacked for sure, and he just somehow escaped and ran for ten yards. Or he had that play where it should have been a safety. He was about to get sacked in the end zone, and he just jumps and then throws it over the ASU D- uh, DB to Jordan Addison. Uh, I, I thought he was impressive. USC's defense, though, uh, was unimpressive. I think ASU showed how bad that offense is against Utah last week. Six rushing yards. Uh, and the fact that they were able to move the ball almost at will against USC is concerning to me. But Oregon, I agree with Matt, was the most impressive team of the day. And I am starting to talk myself into them as maybe the favorite in the conference. Has no truck stops forgiven Oregon for Georgia? <laughs> Have we officially forgiven them? 
because we still hang that over their head. It feels like it's a dirt cloud hanging over their head. Where we're like, yeah, yeah, Oregon's look good, but like, did you watch the Georgia game five weeks ago? I don't know. I'm. They haven't played anyone where I'm just like, oh yeah, that redeems it. But I, I don't know. They've beaten the shit out of every team they've played so far. The Oregon evaluation is informed by a lot more than Georgia, though. Mm-hmm. Okay. But also, that's a ter- this is a terrible week to ask that question. I know you don't watch teams outside the Pac-12, but like... That's correct. Missouri should have beat Georgia. <laughs> so, mm. like, like Georgia almost lost Oregon. to Missouri, so that's a terrible time to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, good point. Yeah, I do not watch those teams. Matt, you, you were... I mean, Greg, you were going to say something. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So, Bo Nix has impressed me uh, thus far this year. The Georgia game was really bad, but since then, I think he's been good. There were some throws today that were not good. Uh, One comes to mind in particular where uh, he threw a deep ball that was just into double coverage. Receiver had no prayer of getting to it. It was in Caillou Caillou Blue Kelly's hands, and he just didn't didn't hold on to it. Uh, That should have been a pick, and Bonix is still making those kinds of throws, which is concerning. But... His athleticism is really, like, that's a really big part of uh, what makes Oregon dangerous. And their defense was really good in the first half against Stanford. I think they kind of cared a little less in the second half. Uh, So I'm not taking too much into account from those Stanford touchdowns. But uh, I don't know. I, I thought Oregon, I think Oregon has been very impressive so far. And tackling issues, I think, are pretty easy to pretty easy to fix and that's the thing that has been most worrying about them for me yeah we'll see i i am i it's just they i guess if you had to like point to one game from oregon that you're like hey they they did that and that um that is impressive it's the byu game probably um but outside of that they just haven't and the washington state game sort of although we we fought about that last week we weren't sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing so (laughs) uh oregon's a big uh they're a big tbd i think um Arizona, I, I just want to say real quick, I am. I, I think they're one of the most fun teams in the Pac-12. Whether they lose or they're not good, um, but I also don't think they're horrific. Uh, I think they're fun to watch, though. I think they are so watchable. I think uh, I'm not sure if y'all get got to watch much of this game, but some of the <laughs> catches that Ted Ted McMillan was making was in, were incredible. They were they were. Fan, they were like just uh, fantastic highlight catches that uh, that frankly they look like shit that Drake London was doing last year. And he's a fr- he's a true freshman. Um, Jaden Delora, like high variance player, but like when he when he's just feeling himself and he's just going off, it's like he's a blast to watch. Six touchdowns, and it felt like many of his passes were these circus throws that just were like rolling out and throwing off his back foot and. You know, one of his uh, one of his really great receivers, whether it was Jacob Cowing or um, Singer or Tap McMillan, like they were going up to catch it. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Arizona's a fun team. I don't think they're particularly good. I don't think they're horrible though. I think they're mediocre, and I think we can all agree that that we have to like remind ourselves and contextualize Arizona. Them being mediocre is a massive fucking step up from what they were last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're three and two now. They have a winning record again. Uh, this five weeks into the season, I'm not sure that people were, were going to pick them to do that. Uh, we did because you know we were we were always believers in Jetfish. But one thing before we move on from these games, 
in the podcast question section of the Discord. James asked, uh, what does the slow, mesh, the slow mesh have to do with Tanner McKee getting hit at a higher rate? Uh, and do we want to say anything about that? So for anybody that doesn't know, I don't really, I mean, I guess we don't have normal college football fans that listen to us. Uh, Wake Forest started this like two years ago where the they run the mesh point of an RPO where the quarterback is faking the run to the running back and holding that ball in his belly for like an eternity. <laughs> like yeah. it, it's probably a total of a second and a half, but compared to what you see in other offenses, it is four to five times longer. It is painful to watch. It is anxiety inducing and absolutely terrifying to see. It works really, really well though in freezing the secondary and freezing the linebackers it is not particularly effective at slowing down a pass rush, though. And so um, it, it the other thing that it creates is that it creates a lot of these, these plays where your quarterback is pulling out the ball and going to pass, but he's actually moved towards the offensive line instead of going on a two- or three-step drop. And so instead of moving away from the defenders that are running at him, he's moving toward them. So that's a lot of why Tanner McKee is getting murdered. And Stanford has a bad offensive line, which is really, really bad when you have a slow mesh point because there's just no time for anything to develop. So they're at the mesh point waiting. And oh, oh shit, Brandon Norris is swallowing everyone. Uh Uh-oh. It just, it's tough. It's tough for Tanner McKee, hard position to put him in. It also, one last scheme thing that we'll talk about, it, it also is like hard in a league that actually calls ineligible linemen downfield. Um, yeah, yeah, because like you're creating the situation where the linemen are run blocking, but they're run blocking for RPO that they may be throwing the ball, which in a normal like speed RPO is fine. They can't get three yards downfield in a slow mesh. They very much so can. So it's it's just a very weird situation that Stanford's trying to do, and it's not really working. Yeah, they did not gauge their personnel well at all. Yeah, le- like the worst offensive line in the Pac-12. Yeah, let's let's actually make them work harder by having them try to pass block for like uh, six seconds or so. It's not six seconds, but it's like four or five, which is a lot. It feels like uh, six. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and uh, they can't do it. So Tanner McKee is getting hit. That dude is not going to make it this season if they keep if they keep suscept- uh, uh, susceptible him to that. Uh, real quick, the AP poll came out. Uh, we've got five Pac-12 teams now ranked. Five, five I can't, in week five. I can't believe it. Uh, five ranked teams. So the rundown here is number six, USC, number 11, Utah, number 12, Oregon, number 18, their first time in the AP poll this season, UCLA, and staying ranked, number 21, Washington. Uh, so interesting stuff. I think this is probably, uh, I don't know. Would you, were you all expecting Washington to get unranked? I was Absolutely. not. Uh, okay. Because national voters don't watch Pac-12 games, uh, and they will see UCLA is undefeated. They will see Washington is undefeated outside of this UCLA loss, so of course Washington should stay ranked. I don't think Washington's a top 25 team. I'm not sure UCLA is a top 25 team, but I expected both of them to be ranked. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, I I thought they probably could be ranked. They were 15th, right, last week? So to uh-huh. go from 15th and then— crazy to drop out from 15th. Uh, dropping them that far from 15th outside after a Friday night road game against a team that is now ranked in the top 20 
would have been pretty surprising. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I think that's great. It's good for the Pac-12 to get this much recognition. It feels like it's been a while since we've had this many teams in the in the top 25. And hell, who knows? Uh, Washington State beats USC next week. That'll be number six. Um, well, so. and and let me be clear about my take on Washington. Wazoo has a better case to be ranked than Washington. Probably, yeah. Like, Wazoo has a far better win and a far better loss. Like, okay, I, didn't Wisconsin just get destroyed yeah, by I, Illinois? Yeah, I was, I was Th- told that Wisconsin matter. was garbage. It they are garbage. Michigan State is worse. That's true. And Wazoo That's did true. it on the road. That's do you think? True. I mean, do you think Washington is better than Wisconsin? Because then UCLA has the. Uh, I guess uh, you're talking about Washington. Yeah, yeah no, Michigan UCLA. Yeah, 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 I right, think UCLA right. getting ranked at like 18, 15 is is absolutely fair and yeah. reasonable. I'm not even that mad about like Washington being ranked. I think like you're four and one, and you lost a road game against an undefeated team. That's fine. I still yeah. think that Wazoo has a very reasonable case to be ranked, and frankly, them not being ranked is racism. <laughs> Yes, Amen. racism That's against gay people. Right? Pullman. Uh, based. Based. <laughs> Racist against Cougs. All right, real quick. MVPs. We'll, we'll take a break right now, but uh, MVPs for the week. Let's hear them. Uh, I'm going to start us off. DTR. Uh, I, I, I don't care. I think he had the most electric game of the week. Uh, I think he had the most highlights. I think we came away feeling best about him after this week, but um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick DTR for his performance over Washington. Matt, what about you? Who's your MVP? I'm going to go with Bo Nix. Um, I think that the Stanford Stanford disease is strong, and I think he was able to overcome it, and I'm genuinely impressed with that. I am surprised and upset with both of you. Uh, In the notes, Carlos, you said, uh, it's fine if we all agree. just proves how emphatic a performance someone had. Uh, And I do think there was a definitive MVP, a player who had a performance that was head and shoulders above everyone else, and it was Clark Phillips. Three interceptions, Uh, a a pick six. Come on, man. By far the best performance of the week for me. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, other honorable mentions, I think Liatu Latu for uh-huh. UCLA. Uh, I'll throw in, I don't, I don't care if it's against Colorado, Jaden yeah, Delora. Six touchdowns six is Six touchdowns impressive. is pretty impressive. Um, Jake Bogobo. Two, Jake Bogobo. That was a nice touchdown games. he had. Yeah. Six catches, 142 yards, two touchdowns. Um, pretty, pretty great game from him. Any other uh, honorable mentions for uh, you know for for any MVPs this week? Uh, we're gonna take a quick break here. But when we come back, we're gonna take stock of the Pac-12. We'll do a performance review. We'll have a uh, our buddy Reed Tingley from the Quacked Out Podcast join us, and we'll talk about uh, the the best Pac-12 quarterbacks in the league. We'll make some predictions and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the slate coming up this week. So stay tuned. <laughs> there, young sports fan. My life is falling apart. My family left me because I won't shut the fuck up about my favorite team, the Oregon Ducks. What you need is to join the rest of the flock at the Quack 12 podcast. Sounds great. Is it some kind of drug? Will an eighth be enough? Because I'm chosen really bad. No, it's not a drug. It's even better. It's the world's greatest Oregon Ducks podcast. So do I snort it? Visit quack12podcast.com to find free weekly episodes and links to the Quack 12 Patreon. I'm sold. Who needs a family with drugs like this? Quack, quack. All right. Let's move on to do a quick taking stock of the Pac-12. And uh, Matt is going to lead us. Middle manager Matt is going to lead us on a performance review of the Pac-12. Do I have this right? A performance review? Is that what you're calling it? 
I I was really more excited about the middle manager part. I, I'd like to. <laughs> Matt has always that. wanted to be a middle manager. <laughs> Moving up. Moving up. Okay. Um, no. So I just I feel like we've got five weeks of data now. This is when a lot of like the advanced analytics start to drop off the preseason rankings and start to actually mean something. So I, I feel like it's time to take a thousand foot view of the conference. Part of this as well is that we, I think that we need to recalibrate some of the non-conference performances that we've seen based off of how those teams have looked. Um, obviously looking at Florida, Michigan State, and Wisconsin in that. So Carlos, you love doing senseless rankings on Twitter that make absolutely <laughs> no sense. Can you, can you give us a baseline for the conversation to go off of? Because... There are some things that are inarguable there. Okay. All right. Yeah. I will go ahead and say that. Uh, and then we can we can go on and introduce our our friend Reed here. So here's what I uh, here's what I have on Twitter. I post these every week after the after the games, usually the night of, if not uh, the morning after. All right. So here's what I have. Tier How one. How many drinks? How many drinks are involved? <laughs> no in them? drinks. I do this completely sober. Uh, Maybe you should. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have tier one. I always have a tier one of playoff contenders. This is this was empty almost all last season, pretty much. Um, but this season, I still think uh, number one USC. Still think they have the best shot at making the playoff. Doesn't mean they'll make noise, but they. I, I think they have the best shot of making it at this point. I think right now they're probably the best team. But man, I feel way less uh, sure about that than I ever have. Tier two, Pac-12 contenders. I have number two UCLA, number three Utah, number four Oregon, and number five Washington. Uh, the third tier, uh, I call this competent teams. Teams that I think are just like either fine or they've got some stuff, some really good stuff about them, or uh, you know they're just not trash teams. They're they're fine um, to to maybe possibly good. So I have number six Oregon State, number seven Washington State, number eight Cal, and number nine Arizona. Tier four trash tier Stanford, ASU, ten and eleven, uh, and then uh, tier five they just have to go in their own tier because I think. Stanford and ASU would rock Colorado by like 20 points. Uh, tier five, abominations to society. That is Colorado. Um, so that's my ranking. And joining us for this conversation, by the way, is our buddy Reed, Reed Tingley at the Quacked Out Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at MF underscore Reed. Hello, Reed. How are you? You ready to fight with us again? Yes, I'm very ready to fight with you all. Uh, the other thing I'll plug is is my Substack link on my Twitter, where I'm doing uh, Pac-12 previews of the biggest game of the week um, that have been fun to write. So go check that out as well, sir. You will, you will appreciate our plug and introduction and nothing else if you could never do that again, please. <laughs> <laughs> Read on the Substack called or he called the UCLA game to be closer than we thought it was going to be. Like we were talking about how it was going to be a blowout for UW and in there he he wrote about why he thought it was going to be closer than that so good job reed hey, no he was crack. wrong because it was a blowout for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he was still wrong he was just less wrong than we were <laughs> um all right let's uh we're gonna have reed you join us in on this conversation what we want to do is just take stock matt you've got some questions for us to to work through so i just i Obviously, I think UCLA kicking the shit out of Washington helps in like the non-conference recalibration. Uh, Wazoo not being as great and having that loss also helps in this. But like, I think that when you look at what I think is what your top four is, USC, UCLA, Utah, and Oregon, has anybody played anybody? And do we actually know that there's any, like what separates those teams for you? Because I don't know that I see it. You're talking about UCLA. And USC, Utah, and Oregon. 
Yeah. I don't well, know Reed, how I separate those. I, I have a sense of what Reed is going to say. We're going to fight with Reed early on here. Reed, how about you lead us off here? What, what separates those teams? How do you have them? Like, how, how would you have them ranked and, and what separates each of them? Yeah, I have that as my top four as well. But I think that uh, it's tough to make a clear distinction. Like, why USC belongs in the playoff contenders tier, to me, I think is more about forward-looking the fact that they're still undefeated and they seem like the team that has the biggest chance to make it through the regular season with one loss. Um, but compared to like Utah and Oregon, I don't think they're definitively better. They just don't have that black mark from the non-conference schedule. Um, but between these four teams, I think they've looked the best because you know UW, Oregon State, and Wazoo, who I'd have next, like you do, have all suffered conference losses. Um, and I think it's just kind of pick your flavor between which of these four you like. I think UCLA's win over UW might be the most impressive one uh, from any of them. I think Utah has, you know, the we've seen a group very similar to this run through the Pac-12 last year. I think that Oregon might be the most balanced team of the group. Um, and I think USC's offensive upside, you know, no one can compete with them if they're firing on all gears. So I'm going to fight with you right off the bat of saying that Oregon is the most complete team because their defense is just bad, dude. No, I, I agree with that. I think that a lot of these defenses have proven to be not very good, though. I think that um, so, so I don't push back on the fact that like Oregon's defense has not looked good so far as their run defense has been among the best in the conference, but their secondary outside of Christian Gonzalez and maybe Bennett Williams has been not good. Uh, and the linebackers who everyone talked about Sewell and Flo being, you know, potentially the best or one of the best linebacker tandems in the country have been really banged up and, you know, just haven't looked as special as we thought they might going into the year. Uh, so I don't push back against that necessarily, but I think that um, they flex some more balance in terms of their offense and have at least a defense with a pulse that, you know, a team like USC doesn't, I think. I'm not sure that Oregon has much more of a pulse on defense than USC. I think they have more talent, for sure. Um, I think that uh, Oregon has certainly had some better performances uh, defensively, but per per the metrics, USC has a better... They're both not great, by the way. Uh, Beta Rank has USC ranked at number 72 uh, defensively and Oregon at number 88. Uh, I I would say watching those two teams, it, it... often feels like uh, USC has enough sort of athleticism to try to make weird shit happen. Um, and I, it just hasn't felt like Oregon has done that. So I'm not, I, I'm not ready to say that Oregon is definitively better than USC uh, defensively. And I don't think the analytics sort of bear that out, but Greg, you were going to say something. I think they are definitively better than USC defensively. Uh, they did like, I don't, th- I don't think Oregon would give up 25 points to ASU. I don't think they would make ASU's offense look like that. Uh, I think it. they also looked much better against Stanford's offense than USC's defense did uh, in that game. Uh, USC has relied on turnovers, I think, more than is sustainable. Uh, we've talked about that. And uh, <laughs> they only had one turnover against ASU, and ASU had their best offensive game of the season. Uh, I, I don't think USC's defense is good, whereas on the I don't other think side any, of the ball— either of them are good. Yeah, yeah, I don't think either of them are good. I just think USC's is worse. Uh, on the other side of the ball, uh, 
Oregon has a good offense. I think it's the second best, or I don't know. It's the second best offense of the teams that I consider to be in the top three. Behind uh, who? Behind USC, of course. And like, and not behind... Okay, I think it's better than Utah's. I think it, I think is it better Oregon's, than UCLA's? Yeah, I, I don't think, think UCLA is in the top behind three. UCLA. I, I don't think UCLA is going to matter. Uh, <laughs> I, I just don't take them seriously at all. And so I'm not considering them in this conversation because that defense I don't think is good and their weapons are not that good. And so I don't think they're going to be able to beat any of these top three teams. So of the top three, I think Oregon might be the best. So here's the thing about uh, Oregon's defense. I think there is some. I think the worst thing about this Oregon team is their um, is their secondary, and I also mm-hmm. think defensively they just haven't looked good. Every single every single analytics system. I just went and looked this up while y'all were talking. Beta Rank has USC a good chunk ahead of Oregon defensively. SP Plus has uh, USC a good way ahead of Oregon defensively, and. Uh, we ha- we don't have the numbers out for EPA. Uh, we don't have the EPA for um, for this week yet. Uh, hasn't come out, but um, EPA de- uh, defensively, USC is much better than Oregon. So I I am just not uh, convinced at all by Oregon's defense. I would say that Oregon has the third best offense of the four teams here. I get what you're saying, Greg. Like you've got to see UCLA do it. We've seen Oregon do it. We've seen Utah do it. USC is always USC. UCLA, you can't trust them until you actually see them actually perform. Get, they're going to get the test against Utah this coming week. Um, but right now, Oregon has the third best offense, and, I, and I'd say they're pretty on par with Utah's. Uh, it feels like we're getting a lot of sort of Bo Nix hype for all of the things that he's done to this point, and he's played pretty well, all things considered. Um, but he's also had some weird mistakes. He has not played particularly good competition. Their best competition has been BYU, which is much, much, much less talented than they are, um, and probably not as good as pop- as uh, as their rankings might uh, suggest that they are. Um, so I am. I, I don't know. I I'm not. Uh, I ha- we we talked about Oregon being confusing last week. I, I still think they're confusing. I don't think that they have anything as good as USC's passing game um i don't think that defensively they're much better than the worst team of those four so i I don't know i'm i'm not uh i'm i'm not sold on any of these teams i think usc has some serious weaknesses but you know um oregon is or oregon does not feel complete to me i think if we're going to talk about complete balanced teams it's still utah utah is the only team of these four who like hey they're not horrible defensively they're not horrible in the run game they're pretty good in the run game they have a good quarterback they have a really good secondary like utah i got i can't i don't know why we're talking about oregon as a complete team but i want to give reed a chance that we've been talking shit about oregon here uh two out of three of us and uh greg is back on the oregon train i i want to give a take that that i want reed to respond to because i am of the opinion that of these four teams when i project it forward into the season i actually have usc fourth because of their depth concerns i actually have ucla and Utah and Oregon, like pretty solidly ahead of them in how I feel about these teams moving forward. Read your response. Yeah, I, I love that take. I, I mean, I've been a skeptic of, of USC all offseason. <laughs> oh, his man has been shitting on USC for <laughs> fucking nine months. Go ahead, Reed. <laughs> I, I just don't see how the, they're ranked sixth right now. I just don't see it. I don't think they've played anyone good. I mean, 
the Stanford team they played, like they had two turnovers within the red zone and still only won by 13 points. Fresno just lost to UConn. I think we need to talk about Oregon State's offense just not being very good. Um, and this Arizona State game last night was certainly not impressive either. So, you know, can USC on any given day, like with Jordan Addison and that bevy of receivers and Caleb Williams running the show, like they can execute and blow out almost any team in the Pac-12. But at the same time, like, I think they're very liable to get tripped up in one of these games that they have coming up, whether it's Washington State next week or having to go on the road to Utah um, or even UCLA at the end, obviously. I think that there's a very good chance that they still drop two or three games on the schedule. It's entirely possible. I, uh, I, I definitely I think that the Pac-12 is good enough, the middle is good enough to trip up any of these teams. But uh, they all have some real serious weaknesses. Again, except Utah. It feels like Utah is the only one that doesn't have a very clear weakness. They have to things me, that are concerning. To me, the thing that is concerning to me about Utah, uh, like the weakness, is that they don't have anything that they do especially well. Yeah. And that There's, is yeah. really concerning for me. Yeah. But we saw, I don't know that they did anything exceedingly well in 2021. I thought the run game was. And, and yeah, the run, the run game was fantastic. The front seven was was better Fantastic. with Devin Lloyd and Mika Tafua. It was mm-hmm. it was better that's, than that's it is fair. this year. That's fair. And Nephi Sewell. Yeah. Nephi but Sewell too, by, yeah. But we five weeks into Utah season, we weren't saying that they were particularly excelling at anything, even that right. Like I think I think, I think we it's will a different situation. Okay. All right. That's fair. So I, I I mean I just I kinda wanna move into because we've talked about Washington being, you know, a great team. We've talked about Oregon State. Reed, you brought them up as far as we need to kind of recalibrate on them. And I think I think Washington State is in this tier as well of mm-hmm. I don't it, I think it's very clear that they are not top four, but I think they're closer to the top four than they are the bottom four. Yeah, I, I think that on any given Saturday, this top seven of teams and Maybe you could throw Cal and Arizona there, depending your read on them, could beat anyone in the conference. Like, I just don't think we have any proven top teams. And I think, you know, UW, regardless of how they looked against UCLA, you talk about Oregon's secondary being a weakness. Like, Oregon fans should still be terrified of that matchup. Um, And I think even, like, Oregon State has strengths running the ball. We saw Wazoo be very competitive with Oregon, and I expect them to give USC a good test here. I think that, um, you know, it's really like a gradient from one through seven that's pretty consistent. I don't think there are that many big gaps where I even feel comfortable, like, doing a, you know, tier and the next teams there because um, on any given week, I think these games are going to be pretty close, and that makes it really exciting the rest of the slate we have here. (laughs) You're talking about the. You're talking about any games among the top nine teams are going to be are all close games. Seven, and you, seven, seven, seven to nine. I think like UW, Oregon State, and Wazoo. I feel really confident about, and Cal and Arizona right now are kind of in the waiting room for me. Like I'm monitoring them for another week or two, but I'm about ready to throw them into like uh, really competent teams that can beat a USC or a Utah in a given game. Yeah, I guess I'm just. Uh, I, I, it feels to me that the 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 middle of the Pac-12 
is competent uh competent to good they have a lot of things that are great about them they're either fun teams or they do something pretty well to really really well but it feels like the top i'll say the top three i'll say uh usc utah and or uh, it's got to be the top five i can't really throw i I just can't separate oregon washington and ucla at this point i'll say top five it feels like they that uh those teams are liable to to upset one of those top five but i also am not sort of convinced that they'll all be close games and that they're sort of toss-ups i I, i'm not sure i'd go that far but i'm curious about curious to hear from you reed like I don't know. Like, is there which of these teams here in the top in the top five that you, you think is most susceptible to to falling off at this point? We have UCLA, USC, Utah, Oregon, and Washington. Any of those five that you feel like is susceptible to to dropping off at and and saying, well, they're not really a contender; they were a pretender this whole time. I guess I would still go with UCLA. As weird as it sounds, after this past week, I can't totally shake our perception of them going into the game against UW. And I think it was a signature performance that they had been preparing for off all offseason. I mean, we talked about that four game lead up to it was basically a cakewalk. I think that you know Chip Kelly had this game circled. When he does that, he's able to prepare a lot schematically, and there was a secondary he could take advantage of. But I still can't shake like this performance against South Alabama. How does that line up when they actually play a team like Utah this week? So UCLA is the team that I'm I'm probably most on fraud watch for from that top five. Yeah, Greg, Matt, you agree? I think that uh, I think the top five teams in the Pac-12 are all frauds. <laughs> uh, I think what You're has such happened, a hater, Greg. It's Jesus. a bad what, take, what, Greg. What it's has happened take. here is the Pac-12 has managed to do what other conferences have managed to do in the past, which is they manage like they have a decent non-conference, and so they get some teams ranked, but none of those teams are actually good, and they just beat each other. So all of them are ranked higher than they should be. USC is not the sixth best team in the co- mm-hmm. best team in the country. I don't think Utah's the eleventh best. I don't think Oregon's the twelfth best. I don't think UCLA is a top twenty team, and I don't think Washington is a top twenty five team. And yet they're all ranked. It's like great for the conference, but I don't think any of them are that good. Let's look at Oklahoma State at number seven. Yeah. Uh, are they like? What has Oklahoma State done at this point where you're like, oh yeah, 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 they're they're much better than USC. I don't know that they're much better than USC, but if it was Tennessee and USC today, I might take Tennessee. Okay. Tennessee. Okay, Penn you State, might. I'd I mean, that's fine. Penn Those State are too. like toss-up games, Greg. Anything, anyone from like what four to to ten, probably you could say you might take any. Say, any Michigan of the lower and Clemson, teams. or Michigan especially, I think would beat the shit out of USC. No. Yeah, I mean the top no, four. No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Okay, go ahead. Let's hear. Holy. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> I'm I'm hold on a second. I need to breathe. Holy Have you seen shit, that USC that offensive take. line? Have you seen it? Have you seen Michigan's offense? I don't care. USC's I, defense is bad. Okay, Michigan's gonna throw three interceptions. Next. They don't they won't need to throw. <laughs> they that yeah, no. Um they let Iowa like score a touchdown. Like, <laughs> that was twenty to zero going into the fourth quarter. That touchdown don't care. Count. It could have been doesn't the eighth count. quarter. I don't care. Iowa scored a touchdown. Like I don't. Yeah, I. That's fine. Like I, I honestly like I don't think USC is as infallible. It, we're starting to see some things with Caleb Williams and and that offensive line that 
are are harrowing to say the least. I I still think that like I, I think we put too much of this stock in like these college football teams are are tantamount to NFL teams and they're not even close. They all have flaws. Alabama like has zero passing game to speak of right now. I like I think that I, I do think that there is I think it's fair to say that that Utah and Oregon are the best one loss teams in the country. I don't I'm not against that. But I do think that that I think the idea of the record is definitely inflating USC above what they should, especially when you're looking at UCLA being down at 18. I just I think that these are good teams. And frankly, what's hard about it is just that I do think that the schedule sets up so nicely for UCLA and for USC that even if they do fall off, they're still going to go 10 and two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I want to get Reed's thoughts. I don't know. Reed is, is, are the PAC 12 teams all overrated? I think this is a case of internalized anti PAC 12 bias from Greg. I I just think (laughs) (laughs) the call is coming from inside the house. (laughs) (laughs) This is what you, Greg said it himself. This is what other conferences have done for so many years. You survive your non-conference slate and you're all inflated and beat up on each other. And you all kind of sit around in that top 25. I think this is just what top 25 teams look like. Uh, There's a huge gap. I mean, and even teams like Alabama and Georgia, we saw this week were vulnerable, but there's a lot of mediocre teams that exist in the top 25 of college football that have huge flaws. Uh, And I think that we're a bit too critical sometimes of these Pac-12 schools when in reality, if, you know, these teams lined up against teams like Arkansas and Texas A&M that the SEC is throwing out there, I think they'd be competitive. Absolutely. I don't think that they're overrated. Yeah. Yeah, Greg. Um, Jeez, Greg. <laughs> Jeez. That's like the fourth week in a row where you've been like, the Pac-12 is, is dog shit. I don't, uh, I, don't really, uh, I don't really like any of these teams. What are you doing here? Holy shit. Um, Does the Pac-12 has, have as many ranked teams as the SEC? Oh, no, no, no. There's, they're two down, I think. It's five to seven. Five is but pretty still, good. Though. Five is five's great. Pretty good. Fantastic. Yeah, well, you were you were whining and pissing about hey, it. I mean, I still Greg. don't think the Pac-12, like, I, I'm not convinced <laughs> that, I think 2019 Pac-12 was stronger than 2022 Oh, Pac-12. that's insane. You're that's absurd. insane. <laughs> Are you 2019 okay? Oregon, best team among these by far. Are you, oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, my God. I, like, any of, like, any of the four, I'm not going to put in UCLA, any of these four Pac-12 teams would run away with the conference in 2019. Oregon would win this conference for sure. <laughs> You're fucking crazy. Reed, All right, I'm not going to read. Please tw- help us. No, 2019 Oregon's 2019's Oregon's defense is the best defense in the conference this year for sure. Sure. But Same with the Utah. offense looked only looked good because the rest of the conference was dog shit. I mean, game like struggling with the rest Cal of the conference is dog shit. No, it's it's better than it was then. These offenses have a pulse and could compete in a way that, like, Oregon, Mario Cristobal, their way through some of those games, like, just with no points going into, like, the third and fourth quarter, not breaking 20. That's something that you couldn't get away with against, like, even a game like this this week against Arizona for Oregon is scary because Jaden Delore is going to sling it and... Like, the only reason I feel okay about it potentially is because I think Oregon's offense could keep up. But that 2019 Oregon team, 
would be liable for the same performance they had against Arizona State when they went to the desert. 2019 USC went seven and two in conference and loses four to five games in this in this season. Yeah, if you look, it's insane. It's truly insane. Like if you look at Oregon's schedule, it's like just the conference schedule. It was like Stanford, which finished what? Uh, they finished three and four and eight that year. Uh, Cal, which finished uh, eight and five that year, seven and five in the regular season. Colorado, a Washington team that finished seven and five. A Washington State team that finished six and six. Like they did not, uh, they did not have to go through anyone of consequence until Utah. Um, so no, it was Utah and Oregon. Both were like good teams that were beating up on mediocre to bad teams. And then when they played each other, Oregon beat the shit out of Utah. Um, like that was kind of it. This year, I think both of Oregon and Utah, 2019 Utah, 2019 Oregon, you put them, like, if you just swap their current teams in, they are probably eight-win teams, nine-win teams. I completely disagree. Uh, I think Pac-12 because th- that was a formative year. time for you, Greg, are and you so love bad. that team. But <laughs> <laughs> Pac-12 defenses are so bad this year oh, that I don't wow. think... Anybody is going to make you. Anybody in this conference would make Utah's 2019 offensive line pay for how bad it was. And uh, Tyler Huntley is a better quarterback than Cam Rising. Utah's Tyler Huntley would be the number six quarterback yep. in twenty in twenty twenty two. Fucking insane. Let's talk about quarterback. Okay. Let's now talk about you're right, Greg. I don't know. <laughs> now I'm offended. Let's talk about quarterbacks here. Uh, th- 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 move on here to 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 talk about. A uh, hot discourse on Pac-12 Twitter. People have been going swear back and forth. Swear to God, read if you do Bonex propaganda. Uh, I swear to God. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, I, I will say Bonex has not been bad. I don't think he's been great, but I he think has he's not been, been really bad. good. Yeah, he is. He has been totally fine. Um, but let, let's talk about the top three Pac-12 quarterbacks. I think each. What I'd like us to do, uh, and Reed will throw you in here too. Each of us are going to share a top three quarterbacks first, and then we're going to talk about our list and compare them for a couple of minutes. So I want to start with Matt. Matt. List your top three quarterbacks uh, in the Pac-12 right now. DTR, okay. Caleb Williams, okay. And oh my goodness, I am so torn on number three. Mm-hmm. Um, I oh boy, I am probably. I think I'm gonna land on um, on Cam Rising by by the length by the thickness of his legs. <laughs> and that is all. He's got very thick legs, by the way. <laughs> uh, Greg, list your top three. I have the same top three. The difference for number three, uh, like the reason I've got Cam Rising there, and I don't think he's been particularly impressive, is that when things go wrong, I don't think he gets much worse, whereas I do think Michael Penix gets significantly worse. So okay. like at when everything's going right, if everything in the offense is going right, Michael Penix will be better than Cam Rising. But if you don't have a perfect situation, I think Cam Rising is going to make uh, – he's going to do more in that un- imperfect situation than Michael Penix would, and so that's why I have him three. Reed, what are your top three? Bo Nix has improved so much under this new offense. (laughs) (laughs) Finish the meme. Finish the meme or I ride. No, I'll take I'll take DTR, uh, Caleb Williams, and I think I'd go Penix number three, honestly. Um I I like his upside and just how much they click through the first four weeks. 
I'm not putting too much against them with that UCLA performance. They rebounded in the second half, and I think that I think we'll see more fireworks out of this UW offense in the rest of the season. Yeah. I have the same top three as Reed. Uh, ZTR, Caleb Williams, and Michael Penix. Um, Michael Penix had a, ended up with a pretty good game, and I also think this is going to be a pretty, pretty good learning opportunity for Washington. I think they're going to learn what it takes to have to really defend and protect uh, Michael Penix. And I think Michael Penix, first time he's had to face pressure, and I think he's going to learn from that too. I think he's going to get coached up. I assume that Kalen DeBoer is pretty good at that, and I think he will sort of help him develop as a passer and know what to do when he is getting that pressure. So, um, yeah, so that's the exact three. Just because I think this is kind of the more like not, not more fun part of the conversation, but give me your next two, like you, like your first two out of the top three, just real quick. Cause I'm, I think that's where the variability comes yeah. in. Yeah. It's interesting. So, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go first here and say, um, uh, I'm going to say Cam Rising's obviously the the first one out there uh, at number four. After that is where it gets really, really weird. Um, I'm going to go Bo Nix at five. Uh, I, I don't okay. know that I, I... right. You're talking about like Cam Ward. You're starting to throw into the conversation. You're starting to talk about Jaden Delora. You're starting to talk about, I don't know, Emery Jones, who has actually oh, not been hor- horrific. Come but on. <laughs> it's Bo Nix. Bo Nix is very clearly better than all those guys. So it's it's Cam Rising and then Bo Nix for me. Reed? Yeah, I'd go with the same Cam Rising and then Bo Nix. And I'm pretty confident in that. I think, you know, the offensive line has given him a lot of time and there's still been some bad mistakes there. Um, but he's been able to operate it pretty well at other times. And, you know, he deserves credit for even though he threw the pick six against Wazoo. He was a big part of the reason why Oregon came back in that game as well. So I'll go Bonex at five. Uh, for me, I have Penix four, Bonex five, but I think there is almost no separation between three through five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt. Um, I'm definitely hating ass right now. Oh um, my god! Come on, Matt. I go Cam Ward and then Bonex. Oh, oh, <laughs> I why interesting. So. I just I think that we have underestimated just the step up that Cam Ward needs to take, but I still think that there are aspects within that offense where he is winning them ball games, mm-hmm. um, and and he is he is actively involved. I think that if you switch out Michael Penix with another quarterback, I think in the games that UW has played, I don't know how different it looks. Interesting. I mean, I that's hard to say because Michael Penix is making great throws. He's made great throws all season. I'm not sure that anyone else except like maybe DTR, maybe Kelly Williams. I think Cam Ward's arm talent is as good as anyone in the conference. I think the impressive thing for him is the context in which he's making the throws. Mm-hmm. Penix makes the throws from a perfect pocket with wide open receivers. Cam Ward makes the throws while he's getting drilled with bad receivers. I think the issue with Cam Ward, though, is he's kind of been a one-read quarterback, and mm-hmm. I'll own it in terms of Oregon's defense. Part of the reason he looked so good is because Oregon rarely forced him to go off his first read in that game. And I tr- trust Michael Penix a lot more to survey the field, find the open guy, and, and kind of improvise and go to a second or third read if he needs to. Yeah, that's why I would have Penix above Cam Ward right now is that like I think he's just a much smarter and more polished quarterback to this point. Mm-hmm. 
think it's interesting. I think it's interesting, Matt, that you picked uh, a quarterback who I thought was white over a black quarterback. <laughs> I thought was white. <laughs> no, I honestly, I just, I don't think. I think that being a more polished quarterback makes you into a great NFL prospect. I don't think that college football um, is a game where you can allow for like being polished to win. I think that you need to be able. I, I think that what you do when shit goes wrong is far more important in college football. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so. We'll see. Bo Nix has not been in a situation where things have gone terribly wrong yet. Um, oh, who knows he maybe? has. Uh... <laughs> well, okay, aside from yes. Aside from having played Georgia, yes. <laughs> uh, okay. Any other thoughts? By the way, any of the top three here, any of the top three, do you think should get Dark Horse? Not to do the meme. <laughs> but any of those do you think should be dark horse Heisman contenders? Any any that you would think have that possibility? I don't think that quarterbacks are going to get that much love in this um, Heisman conversation, quite honestly. Okay. In the broader landscape of college football, outside of the of the only league that matters, the Pac-12. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you think have a chance? Caleb like have a chance? Year, I think Jaden Knott. I think, um, like... Fucking one of the wide receivers at Washington, like Jordan Addison. I think there is sure. a lot of non-quarterback talent out there. Uh, what about you, Greg or Reed? Any uh, any thoughts? Any any one of these quarterbacks could break out and be like a dark horse Heisman contender? Caleb Williams think- isn't a dark horse, but I think he's the only one with a prayer of getting it. Uh, even if DTR is better, I just don't ever think the media will give him credit. Yeah, DTR... We'll need an 11-1 and UCLA probably. I don't really see that happening. But I think the way he plays is pretty awesome. I mean, that pass breakup against um, against UW on Friday was absolutely insane. And he just is an electric athlete out there. So I think he looks the part of a Heisman. But I just don't think UCLA will be good enough to get him there. Okay. It's entirely possible. If they finish 10-2, though, I don't know. They, you might have to, you might have to. It'd uh, have to be eleven them. and one, and it'd have to be beating USC again, like in a similar yeah. fashion. Yeah, yeah. If he has that game, if he has a game like that this year, oh, he might, he might actually push himself into that conversation late, mm-hmm. late, late. Yeah, he might be a finalist if he did that, or yeah. top five. Yeah, and USC's defense. Who knows? Yeah, it's maybe possible. <laughs> it's maybe. possible. Maybe. All right. Well. Uh, Reed, any closing thoughts about the state of the Pac-12 here five weeks in before we let you go? I'm just so happy about how many good teams we have in the conference right now and how competitive I think the rest of you know this race for the Pac-12 title is going to be. And I also think getting rid of divisions makes it even more exciting and dynamic. So it's been an awesome mm-hmm. Pac-12 season. I'm excited to see it keep going. Well, thank you for joining us, Reed. You can follow Reed at MF underscore Reed on Twitter. He's got his sub stack there. He's got the Cat Quacked Out podcast. Uh, he's got many, many Oregon tweets. So please uh, fle- please follow our homie Reed. Uh, thank you for coming. Thanks. All right. Well, let's move on to close this shit out. Uh, this has been going much, much longer than we all than we all expected. But there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, anyway, let's go on to talk about our actual games that are coming up this week. All right. First, uh, Greg, how about an update on our betting bonanza? Well, so last week was not the week that me and Matt expected it to be with uh, 
we, we were expecting a lot of six out of sixes this this last week. We thought it was going to be easy to predict, and it ended up being uh, not very easy to predict. We had one six out of six, though. Uh, Charlie, who has had a rough year so far, great job. Uh, he is Reed's uh, podcast co-host, actually, uh, and he went six for six, uh, bucking all the advice, the bad advice that me and Matt gave. Good job on him. Guac the process and, is good. Yeah, Guac and Pasty Zach... Uh, Guac and Pasty Zach finished last with two out of six. Everybody else was three or four out of six. There it is. Uh, Matt, how about a standings update? So, um, gosh, it's just, it's tough to see such a good friend that, that works so hard at this fall behind. Um, really needs some, some, some teamwork here and some good social programs to lift him up. Uh, Carlos alone in last place. Um, with 37 points, 36 and 10 on his picks. Avery and Matt tied at 38, 37 and 9. And Greg separating a little bit, two points up at 39 and 7. Okay. All right. So I'm not far behind. I'm I'm last, but I'm not no, far, far awful. behind. No, it's awful. You're just, just, <laughs> you're so bad. You're I'm so one far game off. back. One game Hand back. Flip Carlos is back. <laughs> to the point where you really feel like there's, there's some systemic issues here. Really. Yeah. Is, is, <laughs> it's what the results tell us. Oh, <laughs> well, let's, let's see. Let's see if I continue this streak. All right. Well, let's talk about the actual games. Uh, if I can make it up. Uh, this is the game of the week, I think, the big one. Uh, Saturday, 12.30 p.m. Pacific, Utah is traveling to Pasadena to play UCLA at the Rose Bowl. We don't know if this one... Oh, no, we do know of this one. This one's on Fox. Uh, but Utah is a two-and-a-half-point favorite, favorite. Greg, who wins, who covers. It's in the Chip Kelly era. The closest UCLA has come to beating Utah is a 20-point loss. Uh... I will not be taking them to beat Utah until I, I have a reason to, and I don't think I have a reason to. So uh, Utah's going to win and cover. DTR is the reason to. Um, by himself, he's going to keep UCLA in this game. Utah's defense, a little brutal. Uh, some quick stats. Outside of Salt Lake City, Utah is 6-6 six and six since 2021, 10-9 uh, since 2019, and 17-16 and since 2017. Utah, not a great road team generally especially considering how good they are um at home give me ucla i think they are at least gonna cover i'm gonna pick them to win outright though um i think this is the time for uh for for ucla to actually put put together something good dtr is the best quarterback that they've had in quite some time utah the best quarterback that they'll have played since what i mean aside from cj stroud since at least oh, a couple of years um so give me give me ucla uh, just so you know, the Avery also sent in her picks. Also, I'll share her share hers after uh, after we all go in this round. So, Matt, who you got? UCLA or Utah? Utah two and a half favorite. Two and a half point favorite. Who wins? Who covers? I am standing with Greg in the sense of I just think that there is some sort of coaching or schematic advantage that leads to Utah kicking the shit out of UCLA. So, um, I am picking Utah for no other reason than than past experience. All right, I got Avery's pick. Avery, for Avery, this is our bad vibes game. Oh, oh shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> she is picking UCLA on this one. <laughs> uh, so we're two and two. This one's going to be a separator. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. It's going to be fun. We're going to learn a lot, not just about, I think, these two teams, but about the Pac-12, I think, in this one. So it's going to be fun. Uh, next up, UW gets a get-right opportunity here and an opportunity to exercise some demons in the desert. The Huskies traveled to Tempe to play Arizona State at 1 p.m. 
1 p.m. <laughs> in the in Tempe on the Pac-12 Networks. <laughs> UW doing? is an 11 and a half point favorite. Matt, who wins, who covers? I hate this game so much. <laughs> um, gosh, oh, I just God. I don't know what to think of UW. I I will pick UW because I think Arizona State is bad, bad. Um, but man, I hate this game. I thought yeah. this was going to be bad vibes. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, the vibes here are horrendous. Uh, Greg, Utah. I mean, sorry, UW or uh, ASU. Who you got? I don't want to pick it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to pick against the curse. But I can't pick ASU either. So uh, UW to win. I'll just say ASU covers. I've got I've got UW winning. I think they cover. Uh, Arizona State is bad, bad, bad. I get that UW has this weird thing. Maybe it's just like they don't have never experienced that much sun before or something. I like don't really get it. But um, but I think I think UW wins this one handily. Arizona State's got some real real issues. Uh, Avery has. I should remember to pick her her, her stuff up. Uh, a- a- Avery has UW winning. Did you didn't say if if they would cover or not? Uh, okay, four thirty Pacific. Washington State travels to LA to play USC. USC is a 10 and a half point favorite against the Cougs. Greg, who wins, who covers? I think USC is going to win. I think they'll cover too, but I don't feel confident about it at all. Uh, I think it'll be a good game. Matt? I will pick Wazoo. Um, oh, I think to, the to run, win outright to win outright. Wow. I think the run defense will travel. And I think that when the, uh, when the pass game has slowed at times, I think that the, the run game has actually gone unheralded for USC. I think their run game has actually been really, really impressive. I think Wazoo can neutralize that. And I think Wazoo can get after Caleb Williams, uh, Cam Ward figures something out, or at least it looks like it, against a bad, bad, bad USC secondary. Uh, I, I don't think USC secondary is bad. I think they're bad. I I'm gonna pick USC to win and cover. I just think that USC does not lose to these kinds of teams at home. They absolutely. If this were in Pullman, I'm picking Washington State 100. percent but USC just doesn't lose to teams that is significantly more talented than um, at home. I just don't think they do it. So I'm going to pick the Trojans here to win and cover. Avery has USC. So, Matt, you're alone on this one with Washington State. We'll see if you uh, prove to be right. Carlos, uh, you, saw, uh, you saw me picking favorites and winning, and so now you've just decided that <laughs> it's time to time to pick favorites. <laughs> the good news uh, for me is I am the only one to go solo and win a call. Everybody, every other time it's it's lost except for when Cal beat Arizona. So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Uh, Oregon travels to Tucson to play 3-2 and two Arizona. Oregon a, only a 10 and a half point favorite. This is much smaller than I thought it was going to be. Matt, who wins, who covers? Uh, that line is right, y'all. That line is, is right. Um, I I think Oregon wins, but I think Arizona covers uh, for sure. I, I think Oregon has to come from behind to win this game. Oh, wow. Greg, we got I Oregon, Arizona. don't think Oregon will trail at any point in this game because oh Arizona's defense is so bad. Like, they'll get, Oregon will get scored on, but uh, they'll score every time on, on Arizona's defense, and Jaden Delora will make mistakes. So I will take Oregon to win and cover. This is uh, another really... There's a lot of really bad vibes games <laughs> in this slate. They're not like great marquee games, but they're like, oh, what the fuck is going to happen here? 
I am going to pick Oregon, but I think Arizona absolutely covers. Uh, I I don't feel good about this one at all for Oregon. Um, this is a this is a very very strange. Um, all right. Uh, oh, Avery has Oregon. By the way, she's got Oregon winning this game. Uh, Pac-12 after dark. <laughs> Pac-12 after dark. Oregon State travels to Palo Alto to play Stanford. Another possible get right game here for um for another for another upper tier upper tier upper half Pac-12 team. The Beavs are a six and a half point road favorite. Greg, who wins? Who covers? I think that. I don't want to pick Oregon State while their quarterback looks this bad, but I'm going to regardless because Stanford is bad, and that scares me a lot. It scares me very much. This would be my bad vibes game, just in terms of like how I feel picking. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to ride against Stanford, so Oregon win. Oregon State wins and covers. Matthew Hubertson? Sicko's game of the week. Oh! Ew! Reminder that Oregon State traveling away from Corvallis is a potato, and now they have to do it two weeks in a row. I I don't feel good about this pick. No, I think I'm going to pick Stanford. Oh, I just God. decided that this very moment. <laughs> My goodness gracious. Um, I don't, I think that honestly, just don't watch the game either way. Like don't watch the game. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens, if Oregon state does win, it's going to be by like running it down their throat and they'll blow them out. Um, And if, if Stanford wins, it's going to be on the back of like four interceptions. And as I've always said, four interceptions a game is sustainable. So um, (laughs) yeah, I'll pick Stanford. Screw it. Uh, yeah, I'm picking Oregon State. I don't care. Stanford is, uh, again, an automatic win for any team the in Pac-12. The Pac-12 voodoo has to happen at some point. We're going to have a week. Yeah, yeah. I it don't know. Did. I'm not sh- did we? Who UCLA was it? UCLA beating Washington. All the that favorites, favorites were like 5-1. and one. Okay. There. Um, oh, I see. You mean a week long. I see. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm picking Oregon State. Uh, I'll pick them to even cover. Again, Stanford's a trash can. Uh, Avery has Oregon State, by the way. So we're all in agreement except for you, Matt. You're going you're going solo on two of these. Very interesting. Uh, I'm to- I was told I'm, I'm boring, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are the games. Are you all excited? Is this a good slate for you all? Are you all uh, interested in this slate, or you feel like it's another snoozer like this week? I think it's a great slate. There's potential for each of these games to be exciting. Yeah, I think there's legitimate intrigue this this week. I'm okay. I'm very okay. excited. Yeah, there's the the games are are are. Uh, it feels like this is like a bad vibes week. Is what yeah. this, uh, is what this feels like. All right, well that was our show. Uh, if you want more Pac-12 stuff to dive into, check out our Patreon at notruckstops.com or follow any of us on Twitter. All our ads are linked in our bio at notruckstopspod on Twitter. That's Greg. That's Matt. I'm Carlos. Avery was out. We miss you, grapes. This was No Truck Stops. Thank you for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even read. All right, here we are reacting to yet another <laughs> uh, Pac-12 coaching fire. Joining me just for this one is Greg. Hi. Uh, this is getting tacked on at the end of our episode, just like the Herm Edwards one was. Carl Durrell fired at Colorado. Uh, just this morning, Sunday at like what eleven Pacific, twelve Pacific, something like that. 
Um, he had a really brutal start, a really tough tenure. Last year, they finished four and eight, which is shocking because it felt like they were an zero and twelve team. Um, and this year they start zero and five, so four and thirteen over the past two seasons after winning Coach of the Year in twenty twenty. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> This is uh so we have there's many sort of angles to this but Greg do you have a immediate reaction I mean I'm just very sad because I was <laughs> really 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 enjoying uh Platinum Colorado 0 and 12 against the spread it was going to happen it was going to happen and now there will be actually I mean that offensive coordinator sucks too. So and he's the interim, so like oh, maybe yikes. Mike Stanford <laughs> is the interim. Oh tough. They fired the defensive coordinator though, which is deserved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe they won't get better. I mean <sighs> they might. They probably will, as I'm sure they hated uh Durrell. They had to have with how bad they were. Um Yeah. But yeah, I mean, my re- my immediate reaction was that it made me sad because Colorado being this bad was fun. After that, though, my next reaction, AD has to be next. You think so? He, you think eight, uh, the athletics director, Rick George, Rick George the Colorado uh, athletic director, seat. has mm-hmm. to be fired because of the fact that he hired Carl Durrell? <laughs> you can't let him. You can't let him make another hire after that, especially with the contracts. That, the contract that he gave, fully guaranteed, they're gonna have to pay a big buyout now, uh, which is not great. And despite the fact that it was a hard time to hire a coach, you know, yes. with uh, why can't I remember his name? Michigan. It was States. COVID and Mel Tucker Mel leaving Tucker, in like March or something, right? Yeah, but I mean, like Kansas had to make a late hire too with the whole Les Miles thing, and they managed to get Lance Leipold fantastic coach mm-hmm. and look where they are now there's no reason colorado couldn't have made at least a decent hire because like whenever when when they hired lance and leipold everybody said great hire kansas when they hired carl durrell everybody said what are you doing colorado like they have to uh they have they have to fire this guy they cannot let somebody like him making another hire yeah it was a, it was a it was a brutal hire um i uh, I I always struggle with like, it, was there not another option out there? And and it being in March does I don't know it it does limit your options. Like who's not that who's much. coming? Yeah, maybe they could have gotten like a like a totally unproven FCS coach or something. No, and they could have gotten been... a G five coach. You think they could have poached someone in March from the G five? Like who? Absolutely. And and the other thing is that the twenty twenty hiring cycle pretty bad. Like there was. Who was available? Uh, or not even I'm who not was available. Sure but exactly. Which, which but G5 like, program were you sort of looking at? It's like Brent Brennan from San Jose State. Actually, maybe? that, I think at the time, I would have loved that as a hire. Yeah. Not, it's not quite so good much now. anymore. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, right. I don't know. I, but they could have done something. Or just a P5 coordinator. They could have yeah. done that too. Yeah, I do think you're right, though. Like, I do think that Rick George uh, probably should be fired. Because Carl Durrell was not a great hire to begin with. It was sort of like, I mean, look. Here's the thing. Uh, actually, I'm going to hold my thoughts. I've got, I've got some, I've got some, some, some sociopolitical thoughts as I always do about this. But I think, but, but it was a bad hire. Um, Carl Durrell does not have a great track record. I don't know that uh, he had ever sort of been pegged as a promising coach or someone who had learned a lot of his lessons at UCLA. And uh, it got really, really bad. Uh, it, it, 
I was talking with some Colorado fans about this. Um, William Whalen, uh, in particular, who used to run the now um, the now deceased Rip. Uh, uh, I think it was the I can't remember. It was a Colorado podcast. So excuse me, Whalen, William, if you're uh, if you're listening to this, Will. Um, sort of was like they're not going to fire him. Uh, they owe him too much money. But it's like with the way things are now, because four weeks ago, Colorado mm-hmm. had put out a statement. Uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it was after the Minnesota loss. Yeah. Putting out a statement saying something like, uh, and we talked about it on the show, saying something like, I want you to know that I hear you. I recognize and understand your disappointment and frustration and perhaps even anger. Uh, we've not come close to meeting our expectations. Uh, regardless of your feelings right now, I encourage you to continue to support our athletes. Like they had to put out a statement. And, and when you have to put out a statement, it's not looking good, uh, especially week two or three into the season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- th- this was coming out. I think Colorado fans were sort of like, there's no way we're not going to be able to do this. Uh, mm-hmm. We're broke. We don't have money. They did it. There's always a way. There's always seems to be money to be able to fire um, these coaches uh, and and take on their buyouts. And they probably should have. I would have said, I, I guess I'm going to, I'll ask your take on on whether you think this was the right time to fire him. I almost think that could they have saved some money by just letting this right out like what could colorado benefit from having to do this right now um i guess you're sort of saying to your fan base like look we're ready we're waiting to commit we're gonna signal to you all please give us some money to help us find a new coach please give us some money to help float this buyout whatever whatever um but i also think like if they could have saved a good amount of money and i just don't know the details of that contract could they have waited i don't know what do you think was this the right time to do it Assuming that there was no buyout, like, drop date during the season, I think that uh, this was a fine time to fire him. Because okay. what you do, you, you give your fans another reason to care. Because with Carl Durrell, if I was a Colorado fan, I would stop going to games. Because mm. I would be so disgusted that, like, that coach was coaching my team. I wouldn't want to watch. Uh, what you do, you show you show your fans that, like, we are invested in making something of the program. You know, we're not just going to let it die. And you also can start putting together a list of replacement candidates earlier, uh, <laughs> which is especially good when the last time you made a hire, you panic hired Carl Durrell. Like, now you have no excuses for a bad hire. Or I should say... You know, bad hires happen all the time, no matter how good the process is. You have no excuse at this point for a bad process. Yeah. Um, Which I think, I think is good. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm so conflicted about it. I think that uh, firing him five games into the season, does it give him... Ha, ha, will they be able to benefit from it? Uh, I don't know. I, I want to ask a little I, bit I about... I think it might also help recruiting. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I mean... Like you can't hurt recruiting with how bad they've been. Like, yeah. Yeah, on the recruiting trail maintaining their existing existing players mm-hmm. for sure um i i gotta say though uh and and i get it like this is a bad this is not like the right coach to defend in this circumstances maybe not the right circumstances to do this but again like another black coach who was put in a tough position um and fired and and i get it carl Durrell himself not a great coach uh but like and people are sort of like, this is the worst coaching hire you could have made. And I totally get that. I am i don't, like, on its face, in a vacuum, don't disagree. It's just so hard for black head coaches to get second chances. Um, 
And so, like, I don't know. In some ways, I'm glad they gave him a second chance. I'm so, in some ways, I'm I, I'm glad that they were willing to kick the tires on a on a coach who uh, was not great at UCLA, but also not the worst one at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And, and so, like, in some ways, it's it fine. It didn't work out, and that's fine. Uh, I'm glad that they were willing to to take on that risk. Now, I know people will just sort of say, uh, I think our listeners are uh, intelligent enough and smart enough and uh, uh, reflective enough to be like, yeah, but yeah, like agree with the the central point, but also be like, but he fucking sucked, right? He fucking sucked. Absolutely. Uh, Mm -hmm. We watched Colorado. (laughs) I think one thing that's nice with Colorado is I think that's their second straight black head coach, right? Yeah, with Mel Tucker, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's nice and that and that's three like, out of three out of four with John Embry before uh, right. John Embry before Mac McIntyre. I totally yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, it's nice that this isn't like you know in a lot of college fan bases, getting boosters to give money uh, is harder. <laughs> yeah. If you have a black head, ho- head coach, it's nice that that's not an issue for Colorado. And honestly, the candidate that I like most, just immediately off the top of my head, for the Colorado job is another black head coach. And so it's nice to know. Like, I don't think they'd have a problem hiring him. Uh, he's Marshall's head coach, Charles Huff. Okay. You think they could have him if they wanted him? He's Marshall's head coach, which is uh, a plus mm-hmm. in terms of like just that means there's a certain caliber of program will not be going after him, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like in Nebraska, there's no way they hire him. He's he's not okay. big enough for them. Okay. Um, and he is a former Saban assistant. Okay. Uh, they've hired a former Saban assistant with that pretty good results with Mel Tucker. Uh, so they could do that again. They might go back to that. Well, of course they might be gun shy about him getting poached. And I think he would get poached because I think he's a good coach, but getting poached is so much better than sucking and getting fired. And I really think yeah. those are the only two realistic options you have as a Colorado, unless you're hiring an alum mm-hmm. and it's, is there an alum out there who's like a good coach? for Colorado that's realistic for them to get? I don't think Probably so. Probably not, yeah. So I think you should just embrace being a stepping stone. Let's let's talk a little bit about the, the Colorado job. Mm-hmm. Because we had a conversation about the Arizona State job and how good of a job this is. I am less optimistic about the Colorado job by many, many lengths, but I'm curious, how good is the Colorado job? Is it a good job? Is it, a, is it an okay job? Is it a bad job? I don't understand why it can't be a solid job okay so i get that the talent in colorado is not fantastic like Mm -hmm. in terms of high school players utah and arizona especially arizona have better players than colorado does don't totally understand why that is but it is just how things are however they have a very committed fan base Maybe the administration doesn't care so much about athletics, but still, if they cared enough to pay for this buyout, uh, says something. And they have some history. They went 10-2 and two under Mike McIntyre. Fraudulent 10-2, and two, I get it. But they made the Pac-12 title game. Things were looking up under Mel Tucker. The year after Mel Tucker left with Carl Durrell, they had a good season. You know, that's why Carl Durrell got coach of the year. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, I, I think you can have success at uh, Colorado. I think it is a better job than Kansas is. Uh, because at Kansas, no matter what happens, you will always be the second most important athletic program. At Colorado, you, you're, you're the football team. You're the most important. And uh, I think that is 
that's great. That is automatically makes it better than Kansas. It's not a bottom tier power five job. So I think it can be a, a job that attracts coaches uh, from good G5 teams and good coordinators from power five teams. Yeah. I think yeah, I'm down on the Colorado job just because we've now seen what it's just been uh, bad for so long. It's been bad for so long. How many coaches have we seen sort of come here and, you know, I don't know. It's like I, I, coaches that I don't even think are like you, they got hired and on their face are bad. Yeah, sure. Caldwell. And I guess Mel Tucker, but Mel Tucker went Mel five Tucker, and seven. Well, and, yeah, but the, he got hired by Michigan state. And I think that yeah. is a huge plus for recruiting to Colorado because you can pitch to other teams like he went five and seven here uh, and uh, it was looking and, like he was going to do better. And yeah. he got like he used Colorado to get the a job, job that eventually State. gave him a hundred million dollar contract. I, I don't uh, I don't disagree. I'm just like it feels like Colorado's far more disadvantaged than than I think it seems like they should like they seems like they should be like. Mm hmm. The, the talent situation, but also just a long track record now. 20 years of not like mediocre football like UCLA, but bad. bad yeah. Like bad. 1 in 11 seasons, 2 in 10 seasons are not at all uncommon at Colorado. Um, like, it just feels like outside of the one Mac, Mike McIntyre year, they just they haven't had good seasons. In fact, uh, since 2000, 2008, They've only been to two bowl games. One of those bowl games was the COVID season when Carl Durrell went four and two. Um, they've had one bowl season. That is one, two, three, four, five coaches. Um, five coaches here and one bowl. Uh, who are the coaches? Embry, McIntyre, Tucker, Durrell, and who else? Uh, Dan Hawkins. Uh, who actually, okay. uh, nope, he didn't. He, he had one bowl game himself in 2007. So... I don't know. Uh, once great program yeah. uh, back in the nineties and I mean, the eighties. It will definitely never be that again. No, no, clearly not. Um, so but I think it. I think it can be similar to what Utah will be post Whittingham. That's that's interesting. It, it's, um, it's a tough ask. It's a tough ask, and Utah I think cares more about football and has a better recruiting base than Colorado does. Yeah. But a good coach I think can have them consistently bowl eligible. Yeah. Here's the thing, uh, and we we kind of sidestepped it for the Arizona State job, and but I but I also think it's a worse situation for Colorado realignment. We don't know that, what that's going to look like. That really could make things difficult for them, which I th that might be the biggest thing that hampers who they can hire. Uh, mm -hmm. They might not be able to get a top tier G five coach. Mm -hmm. Another plus, I think, for uh, for Charles Huff in that yeah. like he's not from one of the like usually the best G5 conferences in the American and the Mountain West. He's from the Sun Belt, although the Sun Belt has had a really good season so far. Um they might have to go to like the Sun Belt, the MAC or maybe CUSA to uh to get a coach mm. with just they won't be able to pony up quite as much money as as the other teams that will be opening cuz you know there's going to be a lot of jobs that open. Yeah, and the uncertainty of how much money they will be able to pony up because, again, mm -hmm. no, yeah, it's exactly realignment, right? Yeah, that's um, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just the fact that we don't know whether they're going to be and like, what do you sell a coach on? We're going to be where, right? If mm -hmm. if if the Pac-12 does dissolve and Oregon, if and the Pac-12 dissolves, Cal, I think what you can sell is that you'll be in the Big Twelve. 
I do you think Colorado could be in the Big Twelve? You think they take them? All the rumors are about the four corner schools going to yeah. uh, the Big Twelve: the two Arizonas, Utah, Colorado. I think Colorado's yeah. in. They're not like Colorado's Oregon in. State okay. and Washington State in that way. Okay. All right. Yeah, they haven't really been talked about that way, but man, it's a brutal program. I mean, some I don't interest. think they're as good as those teams, but yeah, uh-huh. some interest. I guess they do have access to the Denver market. That's not a not. That's not nothing. I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, Carl Durrell fired. Uh, he finishes zero and five on the season. A brutal start. Looked like they were going to go on twelve. They probably still might. We'll see how that goes. Uh, any final parting thoughts on this particular coaching? change i think i'm gonna be a colorado believer with under the next head coach okay Uh, i'm excited to like colorado for more than just it's fun to bet against them reasons (laughs) uh and so that means i just have to enjoy the rest of this year while i can because i think they'll still suck it's a terrible team Get Troy Taylor, Colorado. Why not? Oh, God. No, don't do that. <laughs> he wouldn't be that bad. He wouldn't be that <laughs> don't bad. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, they, maybe they should get Morgan Scally. <laughs> <laughs> There's an idea. That, yeah, take him off Utah's hands, man. Yeah. Come on. Uh, all right. Well, that's it. Uh, for Matt, uh, I, I wanted to sort of relay what he said. He said, buried in ribs right now. Sorry, go without me. Please express my deep, deep concerns for what this means for Platinum Colorado. Yes, who knows? Maybe no 0-12 mm-hmm. this year. No 0-12 against the spread for Colorado this year, most likely. But uh, anyway, they finally get off that contract and they're ready to come. All right, well, for Greg, I'm Carlos. Once again, for the second time in this episode, thank you for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even Carl Durrell. Things are an